cool perspective to have, right? You don't want to get lost yes. from your roots where totally. you started out. I think it's important. I think, it's, I think everything's important that way just because everyone starts somewhere and then you can get really famous or really popular, but then you always go back and no one ever stays super popular forever. And nobody ever, you know, that's, and if you stay in the game long enough, you never stay at the bottom either. You know, you work your way up. So. Yeah. yeah. Is that kind of a hard perspective to maintain? When you start climbing the ladders, especially yeah. in Vegas, where it's kind of yeah. everybody's doing something. Yeah, and then you sit back and you kind of go, well, what should I do and what shouldn't I do? You know, if you get invited to a red carpet, should I go if there's Getty images there or wire image or something more important? Or should I go just because I want to go? You know, and, and do, should I be seen that much or maybe I shouldn't be seen that much? So so it's always those kind of things you kind of want to sit back. And I, I think the real thing you should be is true to yourself. You want to do something, you know, you have a good heart and you want to, you know, be in the business, you kind of got to be in the public eye, you know, like, so when I'm working, if I was here with my wife, which she, she's back home, she's doing her show right now, more than likely, I may have not said yes to this podcast, not because of you, just because I'd, it'd be like a mini vacation for her and I, I probably just wouldn't buzz off at 10 o'clock at night to buzz and do a podcast, I'd be having a glass of wine, chilling, uh, but when I'm traveling my crew, though, it's work, you know what I mean, and that's what I love doing, so, so that's why I'm sitting here with you, just hanging out. Yeah, lucky for me, she decided not <laughs> right, to tag exactly, along with right? right? She probably would have come along too. So you know, she's pretty, she's pretty cool like that. So. Cheers, man. Good health, man. Yeah, nice meeting you. Nice thanks meeting for having you too. me on the show, yeah, man. Thanks for coming on. And uh, let me see your little town here. Even coming from the casino to here, the, I love the small little homes and the cute little you know liquor stores and the the gas stations. It's super cool, man. Yeah, being here, it's easy to forget just how gorgeous it is. Yeah, and then you leave and you come back and you're like, oh wow, I can understand why people move here. Yeah, and even the mountains. Yeah, as you're coming through, it looks like a Bob Ross painting. You know what I mean? Little fluffy clouds and the trees and all that stuff. Yeah, you would have loved it over here. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, so your wife, she's yeah. also a performer. How yeah? How long ago did you guys meet? Because I know that she was a part of your act, right? Yes, yeah. For during COVID, she became part of my act. Um, her name's Danny, and so she goes by Danny Elizabeth. And so she originally, she's a dancer, showgirl in Las Vegas. And so her job's right now, she's a host of a show called A Touch of Burlesque in Las Vegas. Uh, it's at a cabaret very close to the Virgin Hotels, uh, which is just off the strip. And then also she's the lead dancer for ZZ Top. So when they when they tour and stuff like that, and also when they play Vegas. But before that, she was a showgirl in Jubilee, which is the last real showgirl show in Vegas. That closed, I believe, it was in 2016. Oh, so, wow. So we, when, when she finished that show, I didn't know her then. She went to another show called The Crazy Girls, and that was a show in town for about 30 years at that time. She became the host, and that show was the 9 o'clock show in my theater, and I was the earlier show. So and that's how we met. So I'm oh, how funny six is that? Years now. Yeah, so. Wow, congratulations. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, so. Well, magic comes in handy, It right? does. It's not a bad thing, right? Yeah. I know. She's super pretty, so she must be blind. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I mean, that's one of the cool things about performing, right, is you never know who you're going to run into. You don't, you know, and you're probably your environment, right? Like, if you're a mechanic, right, you're probably going to either maybe meet a client, a customer, or somebody that works in the shop, or a somebody that works in the front desk, you know what I mean? Because it's your world, right? If you're a real estate agent, you might meet a real estate broker because it's your world. So same with entertainment, you know, and obviously entertainment for the most part is really eccentric people or entertaining or interesting, you know, or good looking because it's part of the business. You know, if you're an accountant or a doctor, you don't need to be, you know, ripped and have a full head of hair and look like, you know, Fabio or Pamela Anderson, you know, so. Yeah, you can be Quasimodo. And people you can be whatever so you want, exactly. As long as you're good, people would say Exactly, because you're intelligent, you're using a different part of your brain, and there's other things that are a lot more attractive than just the, you know, the visuals. So. I went to a dentist one time, and she was working on my teeth, and we were talking a little bit, and I was asking her about, like, fluoride and stuff, because mm -hmm. there's all that, everything circulates around fluoride. People open a whole can of worms, and she was telling me she just brushes with coconut oil. I was okay. like, oh, I... 
what's your stance on fluoride? And she's like, oh, I'm anti-fluoride. And I was like, okay, here we go. We're going in right now. Okay, yeah. And so she starts going down this rabbit hole about how fluoride is bad for you. And she tries to stay away from it. And I was like, wow, I, I wouldn't expect a dentist to say that. And she's like, yeah, well, you know, up here, people are a little more open to it. So I'm more willing to talk about it. And I was like, well, maybe I need to look into that because it's mm -hmm. coming from you. I would imagine your teeth are good. She had a mask on. Yeah. And as soon as I said that, she went, oh, well. And it was just like, oh, there, we just lost oh, the whole floor. Oh, no, argument. for real. Yeah, so I guess her she teeth had one pretty, tooth. Yeah. Like right? a jack-o'-lantern. But I couldn't <laughs> tell because she had the mask yeah. on. And I'm like, gosh, there it goes. Oh, uh, yeah. Back to fluoride. I know. I know. Well, they also say a green apple is good to eat because the acid in the apple. I'm yeah. not a doctor. I'm far from a doctor. But I've heard that's really good for your teeth as well. I had white that. to clean them. Yeah, so. That whole apple a day keeps the doctor away or something like that, you know? I don't know about the dentist. Might be but, something you know. to do that. Yeah. I don't know, you know? And or also baking soda. I've I have heard, heard baking soda. Yeah, and I, I know also now, and, yeah, and also in toothpaste now, if you know, it's like Arm & Hammer, has, it shows like baking soda added. Yeah. But back in the old days, you know, my mom's still alive and she's in great shape. She's 83. So she was born in 39. So back in those days, there was no whitener, whiteners or nothing. So they used whatever they had thought of. And so she said, yeah, we used to do baking soda back in the day. And now, sure enough, it's in toothpaste. Resourceful people back then. Uh, you have they to just be, used whatever was in the kitchen. Right, exactly. Yeah. So now it's everything organic. Everyone's on the organic kick now. So, you know. Was so. growing up with your parents, were they surprised to see where you are now? I mean, your mom's still around. Yeah, mom's still around. Dad passed about seven years ago. Yeah, they, um, yeah, yes and no. I mean, they knew as a kid, I was an only child, not by choice. Um, my mom had eight miscarriages. They were married 13 years before they had me. They were married a total of 54 before my dad passed. And so they had a great life and very traditional family. You know, my dad was a, um, was, worked on the railway, you know, so he had a real job in the real world, as they'd call it back in the day. And th he worked there for 35 years for Canadian National Railway. I'm from Canada, originally Vancouver. My mother was a legal secretary. And then when I was born, she just kind of raised me because after 13 years of trying, eight miscarriages. And then I was the ninth try and I had a twin, I guess. And the twin died in the first trimester. So I made it. And so once I was born at that age, my dad was about 43. My mom was about 35 or 36. They were like, you know what? We've got one, two arms, two legs, maybe a brain. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, let's keep it. Exactly. Yeah. Still is. And they said, well, let's just, that's it. So that's why. But I didn't, I wasn't raised like an only child, meaning I wasn't spoiled. I didn't get a Nintendo or in my day it was Atari or ColecoVision or whatever that, those days were. But, but I never got what I really wanted. Like if I did well in school, my dad would buy me a socket set to, f to fix my bike. You know, he'd buy me four new tires for my truck because I needed new. So he'd buy me educational or things that I really needed, not, not wants, but needs. Yeah. yeah. So so I kind of learned things that way in a different way, you know. So, yeah. And your family, the railroads was was pretty intertwined, right? 150 yeah. years, I think. Yeah, yeah, 150 years, yeah. Um, oh, my uncle and my my cousins, and they're still on the railway now, and my dad's brother. And it was just growing up <clears throat> up north in B.C., British Columbia. It was a small town called Salmon Arm in Westwold, really small Towns. I mean, we're talking maybe 800 people, 1,000, something like that. And my dad's father, my grandfather, who I never got to meet, he was a section man. And a section man is somebody that works on the tracks. So you have like a five-mile track length. That's your division. And you got to make sure the tracks are in good shape, meaning nothing's on them, like dead animals or debris or cars stopped or nails or spikes out. And so you have a little, if you see Donald Duck and Mickey Mouse, whatever, they're doing that little push cart that goes up and down, up and down. Um, that's what he would actually have. And he'd run along the rails. And if the train came, he'd actually lift it off the rails and then put it back on. And he'd actually inspect the rails every day. And they'd lived on the tracks, the little house that they would give them. And that was kind of the way they started. And then my dad graduated 
uh, out of high school and went right into work at 18. And he was shoveling coal in a locomotive and the big steam engines and, and all that. So, they, yeah, they're really, really railway people. So, And not me. I was the only one that didn't decide to do that. I was so. going to say, a bit of a shock when you say, you know what? I think yeah. I'm going to do magic. Yeah. I think I'm good on the trains. Yeah, they were, you know, I growing up, my dad was in a band. He played music. And um, my half half of me is Ukrainian, which is my dad's side, and the other half is Scottish. And Ukrainian dancing was very cultural with the big red pants and people jumping in the air and all that, almost similar to break dancing, which happened to be coming in in season in that era in the 80s when I was around and young. And so I Ukrainian danced, I played music, I played accordion because that was the instrument of Ukraine. You know, it's a very Eastern European instrument, you know. And and I, I played it for like 11 years and then I finally quit because I want a girlfriend. No one likes the accordion. It's the un most unsexiest instrument in the world next to bagpipes. But but um, I did all that stuff. So I got a magic kit throughout all that, started that, did that, became successful of it. And as my parents saw me more and more um, you know, gaining more success from it, I think they realized, wait a minute, you know, we could make some money off this. And I started making, doing birthday parties on the weekends for 50 bucks a show, did three or five of them at 14 or 15 years old. They're like, wait a minute, he's actually making real money. You know, and 50 bucks half an hour for a kid, 50 bucks for half an Serious hour anyways, money. right? Yeah. So I think all of a sudden, but dad was always like, you know, there's always that real job, though, the railway, General Electric, a telephone company, you know, you'll be a firefighter, you know, all that stuff. And I said, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm down with that. I'd be a firefighter or marine biologist or a chiropractor. But I, I seemed to figure out the magic and entertainment thing. I just loved entertainment. You know, I grew up watching the stars on TV. Not, not in the way I think kids are looking at things now. I mean, kids look at people like Kim Kardashian and Paris Hilton always, you know, I want to be that. So they get some big boobs and a big ass and they want to be famous on Instagram. And that's lovely, but... But people also don't realize that Paris Hilton actually is really intelligent. I mean, yes, she did come from a great line of success, which never hurts, you know, and so did Kim Kardashian. But, you know, to be Kim Kardashian, she just doesn't wake up and things happen for her. Like, she really does hustle. Yeah, she's gorgeous and everything else. But they do work, you know, for that. And I think people forget that. You can't just be pretty and hot, get paid a lot, and just because that's what you do. You know what I mean? So, so not, I think that's the difference when people see entertainment. So for me, I, I was willing to work to be in the biz, and I saw these stars working really hard from the old days to Bob Hope, Howard Stern on the radio, um, to Phyllis Diller, and to all these, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis and all these people that I grew up watching. And I thought, man, they work really hard at it, but they're famous. They're having fun at it. I want to do that. I'm willing to work that hard. I'll put 20 hours a day in. I have no problem. You know? Yeah, people don't even look up the yeah. stars like Kim Kardashian in mm. that way anymore. It's all TikTok stars. That's right. It's instant oh, fame. It's, yeah. Instant gratification. 15 seconds and then you're famous. Yeah. And nobody wants to work for it, you know, because they look at Justin Bieber when he was young when he made it. But yeah, he also started at five years old. So, and he started to make it when he was kind of, what, 16, 18, something like that. So, so from, that's 11 years of really doing something. And behind does, the scenes. Behind the scenes. Yeah, exactly, you know. And, and you look at Britney Spears. Well, she started at five. Justin Timberlake, the list goes on and on. But they all start at five. Well, most people don't start their real careers till they're 27 or 35 sometimes. Well, that's why when you're in your 50s, you might have found the, the career that you really love. But if you start something at five and never change it, like I started Magic at seven, you know, and I'll be 40 and 49 now. So the only reason I'm doing what I do and I'm successful is because I never change the course, you know? And I think if you believe in something and you love something, stay the course. And you're going to have your bad years. You're going to have horrible years. You're going to have amazing years as well. But as long as you stay the course and believe in yourself and believe in something that you're doing, and you can pay your bills. You know, you got to be smart about it as well. If you can't pay your rent, then, hey, look, pay your rent. So go get a real job, which is whatever. Anything from bagging groceries to being a waitress, a waiter, a bartender, you can, or a legit job. You can be a doctor, a lawyer. But you still can have your amazing hobby on the weekends. 
or and, and as that hobby becomes to make money or take over and make some more money, then okay, you can start releasing that job that you know in society will always pay you a certain amount of money because we need that person in our society, like a doctor or a, a street crossing person or a, a grocery bagger or a bartender or a server, you know, which are those jobs will always be around. But then once you start seeing your dream job come around, let it happen and then slowly take less hours and then make that shift. Just don't go, I'm going to be poor, living in a tent at the corner of the street till I'm Kim Kardashian. Well, I don't, okay, you still got to pay your rent or if you're Share if you've got roommates, you got to pitch in, or you're a couple, you got to help each other out, you know. So, yeah, yeah. a lot of people want to go from poor to TikTok famous, <laughs> exactly. like that. They don't want to have to do the uh, 10 years of struggling of eating shit. That's it's right. just can't, can't it happen overnight? No. Can't we just post something and then we're there? Totally. And you got to eat shit to understand what filet mignon tastes like. You know, you got to eat some dirt to realize what cheesecake tastes like. You know what I mean? Everyone wants a cheesecake now. I'm like, no, you know, that's, you, sure, you can have that if you want. And if, like, yeah, sure, you see a lot of people with rich parents and it just gets handled to them. And yeah, there are parents that do that. There's also parents that are very well off that really teach their kids how to handle money well. And they actually become very successful, like Kim Kardashian, like Paris Hilton. You know what I mean? Like, and I don't know if anybody watched Paris Hilton's last uh, documentary. I think it just came out about three months ago. My wife wanted to watch it. So I'm like, oh, here we go. And I like Paris. I, you know, I don't know her that well, but I know she works hard. But you watch that documentary and kind of see what's really behind all the blonde hair color and the extensions and the cute outfits and the this is so hot phrase and all that but but she's you know smart woman you know well it seems like it's easy just to write famous people off especially if they have the background of oh parents have money and now they're famous mm -hmm. but even like you said with kim kardashian you can't take what she had and build it into this industry that the, yeah. that the kardashians are now you yes. can't just do that yeah like that that's exactly. not something you just fall into. That's something that's built. Oh, you sure. can shit on how she got there. You could shit on, yep. oh, you don't think she deserves it or all that stuff. But you can't argue with the work ethic that goes in behind the scenes. Totally. Because you pop anybody else into that situation, there's a solid chance they don't make it. Oh. There's a solid chance that TV show fails. A hundred percent. And it's a lot of work. And especially with their TV show, waking up, having cameras in your face every day. That's a, it's a lot. It really is a lot. And then also you have to speak in front of the camera like what we're doing now, you know, with some intelligence and some interest. Like you can't just wake up and make coffee for 20 minutes on TV. That's boring. No one will want to watch that. So you actually have to have, when you wake up that morning, if you want a TV show, people watching you do shit, you have to have really good shit to do. And that takes a lot of work. And it does take a team. Let's go ride a camel today. Let's go color so-and-so's hair. Let's shave somebody's head bald. Let's, you got to find interesting to keep it. So that's a lot. That's a lot of work if you really want to, Make money, be famous, and be on TV in that capacity. You know, the Osbournes were the first ones to ever do that. And it was a huge success. That's the only reason the Kardashians were so successful. They were the they paved the way for that. You know what I mean? So and they were very successful, you know. So is yeah. that something that you've noticed since you've been in the game for a while now? Is that people aren't as willing to put in the work because there are those people that just pop off social media and do become famous. And 100%. now people are like, Oh, why why struggle when 100%. they do when it is the option of, oh, maybe Yep. This happens to me. Uh, yeah. And, and, I, and I always believe there's always that 10,000 hours. I don't know if you've read that book, but it, somebody says when you do something for 10,000 hours, you finally know how to do what you're doing. Whether it be sewing, knitting, cooking a pie, baking a pie, doing a podcast like you are, you know, it's those, it's that 10,000 hours. You know, it's that's when you really know that literally if I were to ask you any question or change things, you would just instantly know and be so comfortable like you are now. But, but imagine you have another... 8,000 or five, whatever many more hours you need for that 10,000. 
Like when I walk on stage now, almost anything can happen on stage and doesn't really affect me anymore. You know, even if something goes wrong on stage, I'll just accept it and deal with it, you know. But when it's that first year, end of the world, can't sleep at night, half your years, you just pissed right off at yourself, you know, because it's a big deal. But when you have that confidence of knowing your industry so well, um, it's it's a good feeling, you know. But but people got to put the time in, you know, and I'm always, I always see these people, for example, and I'm, I mean, I'm older now, so I can say this stuff, but and I love young people. I love all people change. I love new music and I try to keep myself up on stuff because I'm not that old, but I'm not 20. So it's one of those things where I find because the way the internet's working and you see these people famous instantly are getting a lot of followers and they could buy them or they could really work hard for them because it goes both ways that those people who are really doing it, they are still very vested into being successful themselves, whether it be just being a hot chick on Instagram or a hot guy on Instagram, whatever, they're still posting every day. They still got to take these vanity shots every day. They got to look great because that's, they are building a marketing thing. No different than what Coca-Cola has done for the last hundred years. They got to make that Coca-Cola look amazing. We know what Coke is. We've seen it all our lives. We, since the day we're born, we see some form of advertising of Coke or Pepsi or whatever you want to talk about. But they still, every Christmas, got to have that damn polar bear, the Coke in the snow, and we all got to see Santa with that right Santa. But you know how many Santas they've gone to find the right Santa that almost hits everybody? And so it's no different than a girl posting her tits out and her ass out, you know, on Instagram trying to sell her wares or her interest or trying to gain more followers because sex sells, we all know. Coke's doing the same damn thing because they're, tr they're trying to sell the same damn product they, they've had for 100 years, you know. So it's just a different vehicle. It's a different thing you're trying to, to gain, you know. But there is a business to it, and there's also a lot of work behind it, you know. So I always tell people, if you want a dream, great, you know. But the other part that people forget about is they got to work 24 hours, seven days a week, and they might have 1% of success, you know. Might have 1%. Might. Yeah. The Instagram model thing is fascinating because you're the product. You're just selling your hotness online. That's right. That's right. To random strangers. Exactly. Whereas Coke, at least you could say, yeah, they're, they've built this product. They've engineered something that people seem to enjoy. Yes. You don't have to do any of that. They just enjoy your physical appearance. And all you have to do is post that. That's right. And then you can get yeah. tens of hundreds of millions of followers. Yeah. And brand deals, of course, with the bathing suits. And or bring the suits in an or, insane yeah. amount of money. That's right. Yeah. So that's, it's, and, and then, but, you know, we go back to the, the, you know, the number, the first, you know, job in the world or the most you know of entrepreneurship is prostitution you sell your body you know and you make a lot of money off it and sex have always sold no matter what era what how sexually inept we are in our society you know i mean i think europe's been you know way further ahead in in accepting people and life and bodies and all that stuff than we are but we're coming along that way but but it's interesting how how that's something that happened years ago in brothels in the 1890s and the da da, -da it's no different on Instagram now. It's just a different form of selling sex. And some girls may sell sex. I don't know if they do or not, but you are selling the imagery of sex. You know, you're not selling, you know, how many thread count the bikini is. No one gives a shit, you know? So so it's interesting. Nothing's wrong with that. You know I mean? It's just another form of selling what humans are attracted to. Nothing's wrong with that, you know? Well, take OnlyFans, for example. Oh, I mean, you God, have yeah. girls making hundreds of thousands of dollars a month oh, yeah. just posting content. Stupid money. Yeah, just insane. Yeah. Yeah, it's basically, you know, it's it's like, yeah, it's like the Uber Eats mentality. You can just sit here, order food to your door. Same thing only fans. You can order the girl next door to your phone if you pay nine 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 a month or whatever she decides to charge, you know. And you get, and it's not a porn star. It's not something that's made up or got fake this, fake that. It's just really is that girl next door trying to pay for college or is trying to buy the next Mercedes she wants, you know. 
what the hell? Why not do it? The you interesting know? thing is that people get mad at those girls when sure. they're just, it's supply and demand. Mm -hmm. There's no demand. She's not supplying anything. Totally. It's like, you can't get mad at them for doing something that people are paying her to do yes. and want to do. And it's not like she's hurting people. No. That's the thing. Exactly. It's not like long she's going she... out there kicking kids. No, exactly. And, and as long as you can also wake up in the morning for that, that woman can actually wake up in the morning and say, that's me. I'm proud of what I do. And I love it. Own it. Like, you're going to do it. Own it. Don't, don't be ashamed of it. You know what I mean? Um, or if you need to make some quick money, then it's fine. Be ashamed of it. Change your name. Don't have to brag about you're there. Make a lot of money and then delete it. And then great. You got your money for school, college, kids, whatever you need. You know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, the only person that gives a shit about you is you. It's true. Your mother and father do give a shit. Yes. And your sisters and your brothers and your best friends and all that stuff and your lovers and your wives and husbands and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, you're the first one. You know I mean, the most important thing is should be you and why you're happy. You know what I mean? Because if you're not happy or you're not satisfied with your life or what you're doing, you can't make anyone else happy. You can't make your boyfriend, your wife, your girlfriend, your lover, your boss, you know, your friends, your best friends. You've just got this cloud over you, you know? So I've always been a big believer in that. Don't be narcissistic and don't be, you know, cocky and don't be, you know, all that other stuff. Um, but, but, you know, look at yourself in the mirror and go, I'm okay doing this. I'm proud of myself. I need to do this. And let's go on with it. You know what I mean? So. Well, that's the big question is, will these girls that are doing this now, because I would imagine most of them are fairly young. I assume so, yeah. Will they be, how will they react to it in 20 years? Because it sure. is, it's not this finite thing of, oh, I made a porn tape and it's on a VHS and that's maybe right. a few thousand people see it. Now exactly. it's, that sucker's and, out there forever. Totally. And you can screen capture and you can, all that stuff. So, I mean, it's almost like, it's almost like when you get born Everyone should take a photo naked and upload it. Done. There it is. Let the cat out of the bag. Done. Okay. You get born, you know, you get born, I mean, 18, 20, whatever, legal. You take a photo of yourself naked and go, there it is. So now anytime, oh, we're all, well, we all got that. It's like fingerprints as a kid. You always fingerprints just in case you lose your kid. Well, everyone's got their fingerprints out there. Yes, I know it's a w much more invasive and it's, a, there's a big argument, obviously. What I've just said has probably pissed half the people off and that listen to you and half don't. But all I'm saying is it's just a general statement saying if that, happens and say everybody big thin thick hot not hot bald i'm gonna give you a don't down syndrome you're you're mentally handicapped whatever it is we're all get a picture naked it's out there it's done that's off the table now you can't go and guess who sent me a naked picture I'm like, well we all got naked pictures. doesn't matter yeah they're all out there it's like a headshot in school in a gra graduation yearbook well we all had a graduation picture so what i don't give a shit we've all been we all look weird because we're going we're trying to grow up and be adults so it's just a different formula so if we did that it would take that right off the table you know now now that is not in now you can't argue with that. That's out here. Now you got to really work hard for what you want to do or who you want to be. That that's off the table. That can't be a negative or a positive to you. It's it's there. Done. Okay. So now just do what you want to do. You know. They would definitely take it off the table. Yeah. I mean literally. that's a strong way to open. Yeah. And you go. Okay. Great. So now what you got? Now we have oh, to move through that. Hang on. I got to have skill, talent, or belief in myself, or whatever else I want to do. I don't know. It's an interesting thought. I don't know. You know. It's an opinion. I'm going to just put that out on the table, let people think about it, you know? How would they discuss that, you know? So. The idea that you need to be comfortable in your own skin, especially for something like show business, mm -hmm. was that a challenge for you to come to that realization or did you adopt that belief pretty young? You have to, yeah, I think you really have to be comfortable in your own skin, but you also can also change the skin you have. Meaning, for me, I'm very comfortable with my look in that because... I have the blonde spiky hair. I always wear tinted glasses. Black frames usually are the ones I have on now, which are aviators. Um, I need them because I can't see very well anymore, the distance. So I actually, people think I wear them to look cool. I actually wear them because I need them as well. Mine will look, make them look cool. But 
but but I hide behind that. So when I walk on stage, I've got the costume, usually a biker leather jacket, jeans. My hair is always up, my glasses, so I can hide behind that clown jester, jester kind of figure. Almost like you know, I see a picture of biker behind you with Johnny Cash. You know, he hid behind his music and his look and his guitars. You know, what I mean, he was very true to his form, but he also had that front. I think everyone has that thing they can actually hide behind a little bit so you can become that. Because a lot of entertainers on stage are very, very shy off stage. Well, that's you what know? you hear is a lot of people are insecure yeah. to pursue sure. a career where you're in front of people. Totally, totally. It's like today, before I came here, they wanted me to go see this comedy show at the casino because they have a comedy night. And I say, I love, I love to watch new comedians. I'm just, just checked in, had dinner. And then we bumped our time to, to meet here now. And I said, let's go watch them. And as soon as we get there, the casino staff's very nice. We got your seat right in the front. You know, Mr. Sawchuk, I said, no, 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 oh, God. And I said, no, I said, no disrespect. This is very sweet that you save your seat in the front. I said, I, will, I really want to sit in the back because I just don't. I'm not, I'm one of the shyest people when I'm not on stage, you know. And I just don't need the attention. I just don't want to, you know. So we sat in the back corner and enjoyed the show. It was great, you know. But but people who aren't in the business think that's what you want. And when you're in the business, you're like, oh, my God, no, no. I just want to, I want to be here, but I don't want to be here. You know what I mean? I almost want to be low-key undercover. Exactly. And tomorrow night I'll walk on stage and be me. And that's what I'm here for, you know. But but it's just the way a lot of the work, you know. Do you feel more yourself when you can kind of put on that mask and go on stage? Or do you feel like it's just you're allowed to express more of that, more of that side of yourself? Yeah, I think it's more of a sense. And it's, it's, you know, I think anybody who walks on stage is more an eccentric them, you know, or over the top them. You know, it's like Dolly Parton. She's hidden behind her boobs and her hair and the dresses and the, for years. And she's created this amazing character. We really don't know what she's like off stage. We like to assume she's the same way. When she's sitting with her husband that she's been married to forever at home in her robe, I, I don't think she's identical to what she's on stage. You know what I mean? I think she shoots straight with her husband, talks real, and but we'll never hear that side. She might even swear. You know what I mean? But we'll never hear that, you know, because that's not the image she's selling, you know. So, so that's important, I think, sometimes, you know, when you create something that brilliant, you know. It's like even watching Sherry Lewis and Lamb Chop, if anyone remembers that. But it used to be a little lamb that was a ventriloquist. And Sherry Lewis was a very famous ventriloquist back in the 80s and 90s. And her daughter, Mallory Lewis, does now. It was a little lamb, you know, called Lamb Chop. And she was always sweet as a button in that. But, but she also was a very strong businesswoman. You know, same with Lucy Ball. Very funny and ditzy. Far from that offstage. Very, and a very huge funny. star. A huge star. And a major, major businesswoman. You know, she was one of the first women, along with her husband, Desi, to, you know, own a studio independently in Hollywood. I mean, that's unbelievable. You know. Do you think that you kind of have to mask in that way or i guess present yourself in this not necessarily clean cut manner but you have to almost embrace this more showman side to be able to get to a position like that you're in i think that you so. can't just truly be 100 percent you you kind of have to taper things off or mold it in a certain direction i think direction. a little bit not everybody i think a lot of people are pretty much who they really are like i feel like you look at a john mayer or an ed sheeran i feel like when they come out there's not a lot of flash in the pan there's not a lot. They come out with their guitar, you know, and, and you know, Ed Sheeran comes out with his loopers and he can loop every, all the songs that he plays and all that. And I think, you know, and, you know, Ed Sheeran's, when you look at him, you know, he's not, he's not, you know, he's not Orlando Bloom. You know what I mean? Like, he's not the greatest looking guy, but he, he's, a, he's got a look and he's so talented. Like, who cares how, what he looks like? He's phenomenal. You know what I mean? So he's not hiding. If he wanted to hide behind more of a look, he could, but he actually has a look, believe it or not. As soon as you see him, that's Ed Sheeran. You know what I mean? And so does the owner of the Raiders. But the owner of the Raiders doesn't look like the Johnny Depp either. You know what I mean? But but he doesn't need to be. You know, he's he's famous for other things, but he's also famous for his look. You know, so you don't always have to be hot. You don't always have to be, you know what I mean, always 
looking for the attractive. You can always look for other, a different look, a unique look. You know what I mean? So it's so even like Jay Leno. He's born with a big chin. Well, he has a big chin. That's great. It was just one of those gifts that became one of his hooks because his head looks huge, which it, it does, and it is, you know. But it was, a, it was more of a gift to him because he's always characterized by that, you know. Yeah, and it builds into the brand. Totally. And then you're that much more recognizable because yeah. you almost don't look like anybody else. That's right. This is just who you are. Yeah. And nobody nobody else can even come close to that. Yeah. Or Jimmy Durante, you know, old, old actor with a huge nose, massive nose, you know. And but and it, Well, look at even look on Dirty Dancing. Uh, what's her name? It was the girl who on Dirty Dancing. I can't have her name right now. Jennifer something, I believe. And she did Dirty Dancing with Patrick Swayze. Huge, right? She was super cute. Almost looked like Bambi. You know, she had the big nose and the hair. Beautiful girl. And then she got a nose job. And after she got a nose job, she lost so much work in Hollywood, she never really regained that. I didn't know she got a nose job. Yeah. And I don't know whether that's the reason she lost the work or not. But we were just so endeared with the way she looked that way. And that's who she was. And then she, you know, changed, you know. And I don't know if that's just the only reason. It's pretty hard to believe that's the only reason. But but from what I've heard, you know, look at Barbara Streisand. Huge schnoz, great singer. And and without her look, it wouldn't be Barbara Streisand. That's who she's beautiful the way she is, you know. So... Sometimes it's good to, if you got given a gift of something that stands out a little bit different, then go with it, you know. But you almost have to be more secure in yourself because once you do embrace the public and they see yeah. you for who you are, mm-hmm. I mean, the attacks can start coming. Oh, yeah. I, I bet if that's if she did get the nose job, it could, probably could have been because she was getting some hate mm-hmm. from people that saw the movie or people that didn't like the way she looked. It could oh for sure. I mean, and but you go on the problem also with online is compared to not online, because I've been around for both, is, you know, when I walked on stage and I walked off stage and I had the weird hair and the glasses, people still make fun of me. Is he gay? Is he straight? Is he, who would ever wear that? It's, you know, it looks like he's got a chihuahua on his head or a Pomeranian, whatever. The, and the jokes still happen. I would never hear them because there's no form to share that. The only way to get it to me would be to either be a really big writer of a show that you're doing a review of my show and writing the paper, which, yes, reviewers write good, bad, and different. But that would be the only way someone could really hurt you. No one could call you up and tell you, and no one would ever tell you because there's no other form to find it. They didn't have access to you. Exactly. Now with the internet, anyone can write. You can go on Yelp. You can write your own website and a blog. You can be a blogger. And there's, you know, there's these writers that are out there that are writing stuff personally about shows and people, not professionally, but then people read it. And they think it's a professional review or whatever, and it's actually written completely personal because maybe they just don't like the person, you know. But that's that's where the internet's at now, and that's you know, and that's the difference now. So you see a lot more hate because you can be this coward behind a computer screen, sitting in the middle of nowhere that no one will ever know who you are. Make a fake name up, make a fake profile. You can you can actually get off in being that person for no reason, you know. And that's that you just have to ignore. And get a tangible result from it because they oh, can yes. reach out to you on totally. something like Twitter, talk right. some shit, and sure, then if tag you respond, or whatever, yeah. yeah, they won. They exactly, got and they can actually get a hold of you. So now that's even why you know when you're married, uh, or you got your mom or your dad on your Facebook stuff. Well, instantly somebody could can get in touch with them. That's a really scary thing when you think of it. You know, for for you to get in touch with my mother and father, or my girlfriend or wife or brother or sister, or whatever. Which I don't have brothers or sisters, but um, you have to call a friend to find out a phone number or an address, which is, takes a lot of balls, because why would you even ask for that unless you send them flowers or something, or you knew, really knew them well, and then you have to call them, and then you have to really share your opinion with them. Well, it'll never happen. That's a long way to go just to go, I hate you, or did you know about this? Now you can just click on a link, hit an email, send it anonymously, from a, make a fake email address, send the email, 
you can say whatever, say and say whatever you want on you know what I mean? So it's really a weird world we're in where it's all these, you know, obviously these armchair cowards that are sharing information or saying things about some of the biggest stars in the world that if they are sensitive, it can really hit them, you know? I mean, loads of lost stars in the world have committed suicide, you know, for certain reasons, which, which should never happen, you know? So, and it doesn't help the mental health either, you know? Yet the internet's also a wonderful thing for other great things, learning. And I mean, you know, nowadays you and I can figure out anything we want, Google it and it's there. You know, I had to go to a, a library, which people are like, what's a library? You know, and get an encyclopedia and look up whatever I was studying, you know what I mean? Athens in, you know, 1720 or whatever, where now I can just Google it and I can tell you literally right now there's in here. So it's pretty amazing, you know. Has that been something that's been challenging to work through is coming from the age prior to the internet to now where you are so touchable by other people and the feedback and everything is so in your face nowadays? Yes. And, and you have to really be strong in who you are and then also watch what you're saying and doing and realize when you do say it or you do it, you're probably going to get some backlash. You know what I mean? Like I did a trick on America's Got Talent in 2010. I turned a girl into a tiger, you know, and I used a big tiger, 450-pound Bengal tiger. Very well-trained, great life, air-conditioned trailers, 35-acre farm to run around in Big Bear, California, had a trainer. But the minute I used an animal on the show, man, away we go. Because you got people who can't believe you stick an animal in a box like that. I can't believe it should be in the wild. You know, in Africa running around because you're because people who don't understand that it was raised in captivity, you can't just go put it back out in captivity. It's not going to work that way, you know. And then also with the trick I did with them, they didn't realize how well taken care of they were. You know, I was eating prime rib in an air-conditioned trailer, as a NASCAR trailer. You know, there's a lot of things people don't know. And is it still right? Well, that's an opinion. If you don't think it's right, then I fair enough. That's understandable. You know, I'm not going to disagree with you. You know, so so you'll do certain things that'll hit a nerve with people. And away you go. You know. That's crazy that people got mm. mad at you for doing that. Mm. Where it's P not like it's your tiger. You're yeah, keeping this yeah. Thing. And it was PETA approved. We had PETA on set, and they were approving everything because it wouldn't have gone on TV if we didn't get approved because we knew there was going to be backlash. And oh, you went into that knowing that mm -hmm. people were going to have something to say about because it because everyone's you know you you know you could you know you could literally you could I mean you could literally kick your friend in the ass on a camera and post it. People go, that's funny. You kick a raccoon down some stairs, you got a thousand letters because it's cute, fluffy, and it's harmless. You know what I mean? But but your friend could be that way as well, cute, fluffy, and harmless. <laughs> but but we react differently to animals. I love animals. You know, I'm always a huge uh, animal advocate and I rescue animals and all that stuff. So, you know, it's a big thing for me. But but I'm just, it's a good example because that's where people get very emotional with things. You know what I mean? So. Well, but, think about the old show America's Funniest Home Videos. Mm -hmm. How many people got oh my God. just thrashed on that show? Totally. There's it's fine. No problem. Yeah, you hurt one animal, though. Yeah, as long as it's people down. hurting yep. other people or people getting hurt by accident, That's you're right. good. Exactly. Nobody cares. That's right. Isn't that crazy? Bring an animal into it. Yep. And also, let's do this. Take it one step further. If there's an animal in there, you would get ridiculed, right? What if the person that you were tripping in that video, which we would never know, but the person you were tripping in that video, you changed the phrasing. Here's my grandma walking by. She, We trip with a trip wire, you know, and she falls down the stairs, she's okay. Now you say, this is my grandma who just got diagnosed with cancer. We tripped her. Oh, no. Game over. Game over. Don't do that. We're back to the animal scenario again. See, so it's interesting how you can do things. Things are accepted this way, but oh, now you, which I understand. I'm, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just putting this out there for discussion, but it's a very interesting topic, you know. You see, and that's how we react, you know what I mean? You see, you know, I saw, I saw an alligator eat a chicken, right, on a video, because... 
that, you know, it's life. Animals eat animals to survive. We eat, I mean, we eat animals or we eat vegetables to survive, right? So, so then we saw an alligator eat a chicken, and I'm like, ugh, poor chicken. You know, I just had a chicken burger, you know, but point is I hate any animals looking like it's going to die, right? And then I see another video of this baby alligator, probably, I don't know, maybe four and a half feet long in Florida, and there's six sharks circling around as it and it swims. Now I feel really bad for the alligator. Isn't that funny? And alligators I really don't have a lot of affection for, you know, because they'll kill me. They'll yeah, kill you. little dumb dog, Everything, yeah. But then all of a sudden I see six sharks, which I know are, are more aggressive because it's that food chain. I'm like, oh my God, I feel, it's a baby alligator. Like, couldn't even hurt anything, really. It actually probably could hurt you and I. But then all of a sudden, my emotions change. So it's funny how, you know, you see things like that, and you have a shift, because it's just your opinion. You go, no, no, now now is not okay. You know, the chicken, that's bullshit. You know, because the alligator still needs to eat, but we're not worried about eating. We're worried about the chicken. And all of a sudden, the sharks need to eat, but the baby alligator, he didn't do nothing yet. You know, it's just so, but the alligator, I didn't like the last clip, because he was, you know, so it's, and alligators aren't cuddly, they're not cute, they're really, you know, they're not something we stand up for. Save the alligators, you know what I mean? So, anyways, funny conversation about that, you know. Well, it's almost just the underdog story. Sure as long is. as whatever's in that position of... That's right. Oh, they're, it's getting ganged up yep. on. That's what we root for. Yeah. That's where we turn. Yeah, and you make one degree change, and all of a sudden it's not okay. Like I said, the grandmother, and now she has cancer or tripping. Oh, no. Once those alligators start fucking up that shark, you're that's in the, right. Uh, exactly. Maybe now, I should now feel now the, the shark. Exactly. Yeah. So now all of a sudden emotionally you go, wait a minute, that's not fair either. Well, nothing's fair, is it? Yeah. Do you have to think about that a lot when you're creating your acts even now? It's, sure. I don't want to piss people off. They're coming to the show. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be too edgy because I don't want anyone, I don't want to end up on yep. some TikTok of somebody screaming or somebody rushing the stage. Sure. Yep. It happens a lot. Um, even when I walk on stage, I'll do more of an adult show. It's still tongue in cheek. The adults will get the jokes that, you know, the kids won't, but there's still some adult jokes because that's the way I, but, but I would never, you know, offend a child because I don't speak that way. My, my show is always, you know, like you could be at eight o'clock on CW, which I'm on, you know, you could, that's how I talk, you know. Now I do have more adult shows where I can be a little more edgy, but the minute I see a child three rows deep in, all my lingo changes a lot more. You know, there, there'll be other jokes I'll just instantly take out a little bit because I know it's not going to affect the child, but it'll affect the parents of the child. So I'm like, you know, and, and sometimes people bring kids to my shows. They see my YouTube videos, they see me on TV. Um, so I don't want to ruin that image of myself just to go want to do a dick joke, you know, or whatever the heck it is. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not worth that. The laugh's great. But it's not worth affecting those parents and that kid, you know what I mean? And stuff like that. And even though my joke, the kids would never know what I'm talking about. The parents would, for some reason, it still affects it. So it's one of those, it's a fine line, but I still want to keep the parents engaged because I'm an adult. And I want to talk about adult stuff as well. You know, so it's, but in some casinos, it's 18 and over, 21 and over, and I can just go for it and think and say exactly as I say. You have a little more free reign to totally. just do then, what you yeah, want to do. But then there. all of a sudden, as soon as they say, they say, oh, it's a family show, and, we can, and all of a sudden I walk out, and it's like 10 year olds. I'm like, wow, okay, well, but I can do that. It's not a big deal because I'm in two shows in Vegas. I have my own residence show at the Tropicana, and that's all ages. So it's, it's PG 13. It's like what you see on primetime, eight o'clock on every TV show. But then I also do another show called Fantasy at the Luxor, which is a toddler's review show, and 18 over are there. So I can say and do whatever I want. And they want a little more edge. It's a toddler's review show. You know, it's one of the longest running shows in Las Vegas, you know. And so that I can get have a little more liberty to go and say what I want, you know. But I'll do it in similar bits, but I'm just taking them to the next level, you know. And people are laughing because they're there for an adult time, you know. Everybody knows what to expect. Exactly. You're going to fantasy at the Luxor. It's not That's right. Exactly. It's topless show. Yeah. It's not like, oh, I had no idea. I thought we were going to see the Wiggles. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not the case. So, yeah.
Yeah. How, how did you start doing that show, the fantasy show? Did that just come along? Somebody saw your gig and were like, okay, yeah, I think this I would did. be a good fit. When I first came to Vegas, it was called Midnight Fantasy in 2002. Great show. One of the top less shows in Vegas. And it was a very modern showgirl show. The older showgirl show had the glitzy costumes, meaning the gems and the older looking costumes. You know what I mean? The cast of 120 people. Kind of like the show that my, my wife, you know, was in Jubilee. And this was the more modern version. Sleek, eight to, you know, eight to ten girls, really modern looking costumes, almost the next level of showgirl. And loved it. And I always wanted to be in the show, but I just didn't have the right act for the time. You know, it was a long time, 20 years ago. And then I got to know the producer, Anita Mann, really well. Her name's Anita Mann, and she's M-A-N-N, and she's legendary choreographer and producer. She worked with Ellis Presley and Cher and everybody. And um, it was her show. And I got to know her over the years, just doing different shows or editions or TV shows. And then about three and a half years ago, the guest act that was in that show for a while decided to change paths and go a different direction. They needed somebody right away that could jump in that role, that could deal with you know, just walking into a show doing a 10-minute spot without people knowing they're going to be there. You know, my show at Tropicana, they're already coming for me. Like tomorrow night when I work at the casino, you know, at Bear River, they know what I'm doing. They know they're coming there for that. But when you're coming for a topless show and you see me walk out 40 minutes into the show, you're like, what the f are we going? What are we doing right now? Who's, you know? And uh, and so you have only a couple minutes to get win that audience over and be really entertaining. And then you got to do it for another eight minutes. And be entertaining without people walking out in that. And so it's a very different mentality going into that. You know what I mean? So, so yeah, so all of a sudden we that happened. And uh, it was going to be only for a few weeks. And I've been there three years now. You know, And then during COVID, because all the shows shut down, my wife, Danny, her show was down as well. But Fantasy opened back up. And I said, well, you want to work with me in the show? You know, I'll put her in a couple of my illusions. She's a beautiful girl. She's, you know, same class level as all the other girls in the show. And she said, yeah, let's do it. So we had a great time doing it. Now she's back to doing her own show, but yeah. Well, I would, I would imagine that'd be a great way to stay sharp and not just yeah. fall into the lull of playing for your own audience. Cause right. you're going in there and you gotta be yes. on because yeah. Yeah. these people aren't expecting you. Exactly. And I love it. I love the challenge. I love getting the big laughs. You know, I know what jokes work now, what don't, I know how to hold the audience. I know what they're expecting. So I'm saying things that they're already thinking when they're in the audience which hits as soon as you, somebody walks out and you say what they're thinking, they're like, oh my God, genius. You know, because I've figured it out. And as soon as I got in that show every night, the first four nights I was in that, because it was nerve wracking because I have a lot of material, but you know, you got to find the right material for this type of spot in the show. Um, and you can't dilly dally. You got to get on with it. I mean, you only got 10 minutes and, and basically it's a break for the girls to change, you know, and, and a set change. Um, but it, every night for those four or five days when I first got in the show, I was changing my material little every night to figure out exactly what needed to work. You know, if I didn't get a big enough laugh, it's out. Let's try this in. And then all of a sudden that hits great. That's in, this is out. So I just kept trying to work on bigger laughs and more things that really held the audience. And then finally I got this solid set of 10 minutes that I go, that's, that's it. We got it. That's, that's going to work. Yeah. That's going to work. So, but it's like anything, like any artist, even who does a variety show or you watch country artists doing these, these festivals, you know, they're only on there for 20 minutes or half an hour. Do you sing all your hits? Or do you do three hits and sing two new songs to see how they work? If you're smart, you do that. Because if you can test those songs out, if there'll be a single, if it works, if it, you know, because it's a great ground. Because they already like you. You hit three, hit them with three big hits they know. Hit them with two songs they don't know. But if they start singing along by the end of the song, they go, wait a minute, that lyric is cat. They're liking it. Hang on, we got something. And then they end with a couple of songs that are knocking out of the water again, because that's why you're there. You know, but if you can sneak in a couple of them, I'm always big on going into a show 
adding new stuff all the time. I love walking on stage feeling a bit nervous, walking away with something new. It's even like yourself. I'm sure getting new things on a podcast or new interviews or just certain things that work right for you, it's it's a win for you. You go home and go, you know what? Good. Okay, last week might not, but this was good or whatever. You feel good about yourself. Just trying to push the envelope a little bit, you know? So Yeah, and then you bomb and you think, oh, shit, I can't do that Exactly. Next time. <laughs> well, you <laughs> learn, right? Yeah. You take yeah. two steps back to go three forward, but that's okay. Two back to go three forward is one step forward, right? So that's okay, you know? Just don't go four steps back and one step forward all the time. And now all of a sudden you're like, hold on. You yeah, know? if you keep walking backwards, then you yeah. say, okay, so we got to tweak something because this right. is not working out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So are you coming up, you're coming up with new bits in that and then are you taking those and using those in your other show? Yes. Uh, and okay. if they're not too dirty or too adult, because in the fantasy, I can really get away with that. You can material. let loose. And I love it. It's fun. I can do that even at casinos. I won't be doing that tomorrow night because it'll be a family type show. You know, I'll still do you know, different material, but it's not going to be that, that edgy. But, um, but then I will take some of that and bring it back to my own show and put that in and tone it down a bit, you know, I mean, change it a little bit. So, so, and then also some stuff that I haven't, my regular show I'll test out and then bring it to fantasy and it doesn't have to be dirty. It doesn't have to be vulgar, but it's just good material that will work for that bit, you know? So. Is yeah. it, I mean, you're kind of an enigma in the sense that you are a magician, but you're also a comic. Yeah. I mean, you have that duality to you. Yeah. Is that more common now? Because I would imagine when you started out, that was not. Oh, no. I mean, even when I was a kid mm -hmm. seeing magicians, there wasn't any no. comedy. It was, oh, look, yeah. look look at this serious trick I'm going to do. Yeah. You're in awe. Let's go to the next trick. A hundred percent. So, I mean, what's funny with that is I, you know, I became a magician at a young age. I, and I became a world champion in my, I guess, uh, early 20s. And I invented an act with compact discs. Uh, it was called a CD act. So most magicians were known for producing birds and candles and cards, right? And they do it looking in a nice suit and they do even it to a musical act, like a six minute musical act of producing things and all that. I liked it, but I thought everyone's doing that. And my mentor in magic, his name was Marvin Roy. He went by the name Mr. Electric and he lit light bulbs in his hands, which is phenomenal. He, he worked for 50 years around the world. He passed away not too long ago, but it was three years ago at 95, but he was such an inspiration. He said, Murray, you're young now. This is when I was 16. He says, you're cute and you're young. So young and cute. So you can go to the magic store, buy some tricks at work, and you'll work for five years. And you'll get a lot of work because you're cute, and you're good, and that's your novelty because you're cute and people can't believe that you're this young doing this well. But then as you become an adult, though, those tricks and those ideas have been around a long time. There's no originality, really. They're old tricks you bought. But at a young age, you pick them up very well. So it'll only last about five years. But if you spend five years and find out and figure out and make something super original that no one else has ever done, you'll work 50. So I took that to heart and I thought, well, if I work hard on something that's new and different, I'll work a long time. So I, instead of, I learned all the regular stuff you learn in, in the business. And then CDs were coming in around 89 to 91. Uh, and I used to work at a department store selling cassette tapes. And then all of a sudden there's one row of CDs, this new thing that people couldn't believe that the music sounded like the band was in your house and the crystal clarity. There's no record skipping or tapes getting caught on machines. We we're like, what is this? You know? Revolutionary. Unbelievable. And we just couldn't believe the sound. It just it blew us away. And they were like 40 bucks a CD, but, but we were like, yeah, but it's like the bands in your house. You know, it's like chili, red hot chili peppers are in your home. Your green days in your house, you know? And, uh, so the returned ones that were scratched, I would start manipulating them just in my hands. And all of a sudden they were like a big coin or a, a card because they were thin. And I thought, wait a minute, I could create an act with all these discs. No one's ever done it because they just it were invented a couple of years ago. It's modern. It's different. We all know what there are because everyone's talking about these compact disc thing. 
that supposedly is going to take over the musical revolution. Now look where they are now in the in the garbage. But but for 15 years, I created this act called the CD Act. I won over 21 awards with it and toured the world. You know, and that was my one of my first. It's a serious act. It's all manipulation. And then reality TV came along, and I thought, well, this shouldn't last long because it was crap. And I can say that now because I've been on what 30 reality shows now. But but I thought. Hold on. I, I try to get on a bunch of reality sh regular shows, and getting on regular TV is hard. You had to be funny or a good actor or something. But magicians really didn't wouldn't be on a regular TV show. You know, back in the old days, there was a show called Night Court, which now they have a new one now. But the old Night Court, Harry Anderson, the comedian magician, was the judge, and he was a magician on there. So that was a role, but very far and few between. Well, as soon as reality TV came around, I thought, wait a minute, I could be a magician on these reality things from anything, whatever the hell it is. I could just do tricks. That's unique enough because most people are walking on just being themselves. You add magic to it. It adds a different element. So I started applying for all sorts of things. My first reality show was Blind Date, of all things, an old TV show years ago where you go on a date, literally a blind date, and they follow you around. It was at the Magic House on Hollywood. And as soon as I got on that, I thought, that's it. That's my way to getting on TV is these reality shows. And then I realized most people don't put just a magician on a show. You got to be funny, corny, quirky, and comedians work all the time on shows. They become actors, they become movie stars, they become hosts. I thought, I gotta learn how to become funny. I know I'm funny off stage, but being funny with you and I right now is different than being funny on stage. Cause you could say something, I react, and it's funny cause I'm reacting from you, it's just a one liner. But now when you're on stage, you have to create that whole scenario and get them to laugh. You gotta create them, Where where's the joke? Are you camping? What's funny at the campsite? And then the punchline, which is whatever that is. So you got to take that whole audience with you. Whereas when you're funny with your friends, they're already setting the punchline because they're like, oh, I was on the beach. I kicked my foot in the sand. And then you make the one liner going, oh, yeah, whatever, you know. And and so so all of a sudden I went to comedy clubs and did open mics to figure out how to be funny without my magic. I'd steal some hack jokes from a book, maybe write a couple of my own. I'd bomb nine jokes. One would be successful. And when you have that laughter, boy, that's like a drug. You're like... Oh my God, because laughter isn't forced. You can't force laugh. I can force laugh if you say something. Oh, <laughs> you can do that. But when somebody really laughs, you go, clapping's easy. I can clap at something that's crap because it's just putting your two hands together. But laughing is a natural reaction. And when you have that happen, you're funny. Like it's just, it's funny. And when that happened, I went, that's it. That's my new drug, laughter, making people laugh. How do you figure out the exact equation of the opening line, the setup, and the punchline? It has to be in threes always to get them to laugh. And if I can tie it with magic somehow, not just do a joke and do a magic trick, because that that's still two art forms, but if I could figure out how to blend them together, there's not many guys that are doing that. And at the time, there was Amazing Jonathan, a guy named Kozak, um, a few other people in the business that were, were magic comedians, but but not really that many. And I thought, that's it. I know I can be funny off stage. I just need to be figure out how to be funny on stage and make that timing. So I spent 10, 15 years doing open mics and slowly building things in. And now I start with the joke before I start with the trick now. So I'll look at a trick and go, that's a good trick, but how can we make that funny? I won't even buy it or ask a person to design something for me or design my own thing unless I can figure out how can that become more entertaining than just a trick. I can do a trick for you. That's easy. I don't know in my life. But how can I make you really crack up? And then at the end go, ta-da, and a miracle happens. And that's, that's really the, the, my hook now, you know? So. so the comedy wasn't even necessarily a way to expose people to your magic. It was almost this other new thing you found that you loved equally yeah. as much. And you're like, yeah. how do I combine these two so that I can do them both 
yes. almost at the same time. Yeah, and I also realized by doing comedy, I can get on TV as because I realized I need to get exposure. I need to get on a bigger platform so people know who I am, what I'm doing. Because when you have that, then you can people will buy tickets and see you. If you Which is the name of the game. Of that's course, what we're doing that's here. the idea. So how do I do that? Well, I need a, a vehicle, and this is before the internet, of course. You know, so so. Well, the internet was just starting around then. So I thought, well, let's push. So then we did the TV shows, the reality shows that I'm still doing. And then when the internet came along, I slowly switched over and doing YouTube videos, you know, and started doing that and made some, for five, six years, made viral videos with police officers and parking pranks and all that stuff. So I always try to figure out the next step and the next thing to go on. So, so yeah. Did you like doing the reality stuff or was that just a means to more exposure? I enjoyed it, actually. Yeah. I was stressful at first. It was just a weird medium and now well, especially doing something like a blind day yeah exactly which is yeah out? boy yeah exactly that was that was a lot that was a that was a big you know i'm glad i did it because it was tv because so i heard ryan seacrest did it when he was starting out i thought well if he can do it and he'd only been in the game for a few years i thought well, i can do it you know because he was just starting to host american idol and that so it's good enough for him it's, it's you know it's good enough for me so so um and then i started learning how to really work that to my advantage you know and also when i went for the additions I would script what a producer would want to see, not me. So meaning, meaning when I go into audition, oh, I got a great trick and I can say this great line because I think it's good and I think it's, and it should be what do they think. And as long as I can understand and get in their heads what they would want, then I'll get the job. So whenever I go to an audition or I work on something I think as a producer, I don't think as an act or an actor. I go, if I was a producer, what would I want this guy to do to go, my God, we got to book him. That's brilliant. You know, it's the same thinking that, you know, Jim Carrey uses and Sean Penn and, and these great actors, you know, Johnny Depp and Tom Hanks and everyone else. What what does that person on the other side of the screen want? Because that's, if I can give them that, I'll work for the rest of my life. Well, and you can apply that to every aspect of life. I was reading a book. I want to say it's How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's a pretty mm -hmm. popular book. And I believe it's in that they talk about reframing conflict in that way. That you shouldn't be attacking the problem. You should be saying, okay, what is the other person trying to get out of this? And then if you can identify that, you can make progress through it because now it's not you you trying to figure out, okay, how do I screw this person over and get what I want? It's what do they want? What do I want? How can we meet in the middle of that? Yes. Yeah, 100%. And also when you want to go sell yourself to somebody, most people sit down and go, I won this award. I've done this. I've worked for this people. I've done this. I've done that. I, 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 right? which is lovely because that's what you kind of train to because you're trying to showcase yourself. You want to hire me because I'm this good and nothing's wrong with that. But all you gotta do is change just a little bit going, sell the benefits of why they should hire you. Not why you're so great, why they need you. And what are the benefits of them hiring you? I don't care what job you're going for, being entertainment or a doctor, lawyer, secretary, or real estate broker, whatever job you want to do in life. When you sit down in the meeting, just take yourself totally out of it and your narcissism and your all that stuff and, and your cockiness and all that stuff and go, if I was sitting on that side, what do I want to share with them about me that they want to hire me? Why would they want me? So all of a sudden, all those skills that you have sharing them, it goes from I can do this, I can do that to look, if I were to work for your company, I think the benefits of using me is I've had seven years in this field already with a different company that wasn't as open and creative as you guys. And I feel like my creativity from the other company I worked for was 
was stifled a bit. And I feel like with this company, I can even expand more of my creativity and probably get you guys a lot more sales, a lot more advertising. If you were to bring me on, I think I could probably increase the income of your accounts. So you said the same thing, but now it's like, oh my God, increase accounts, make more visibility for my company, make more money for us. That girl can do that. That guy can do that. I want to hire them. You're saying the same thing, but you are making them the star of the conversation, not you the star of the conversation. So if you can make them the star of the conversation, you'll get the job. As long as you're not bullshitting. And now, nothing wrong with bullshitting a little bit, but if you do bullshit, just make sure you can meet it. At the, when, when your time comes, you got to meet that bullshit at the gate. You can make sure that bullshit you can pull off or at least hold your breath and pray to God you can pull it off, you know? Because not everything in life was exactly on paper and a lot of people got jobs because they had the confidence to going, no, I can make this work. And then when it came time, they did make it work. Other people didn't and they lost a the job. But, but you know, that's that's... In my opinion, that's the way to get a job is you sit down with anybody, tell them the benefits of why why they want you and what you can do for the company, not how great you are, because because that's it's not it's their company that why they're hiring you and, and you'll get the job. It's a different thinking, but you just change it by a couple of degrees and just take the same information you have, but just change the focus of it, change it from their perspective, not yours. How did you come to realize that? I think when I wanted more work, I thought, well, wait a minute. Uh, I got to, like, I pitch a lot of ideas to people. I pitch a lot of things. Why does Discovery or why does MTV or VH1 or True TV want my show? I did that. If I, even with me sitting there, it's different. Like, if I were to ask you, Nick, you know, I go, Nick, what do you think sitting here is the most promising and um, positive thing by having your podcast, you know, in this city? Um, to benefit others like what do you think now when i say you and nick and all those that's a beautiful feeling because i'm talking about you i'm asking you about yourself and your feelings and it's like when you talk to anybody when you put it on somebody else and you're interested in somebody else it's a great thing everyone loves to be wanted and also be intrigued and also have someone ask about how's your day but really ask how's your day not, not how you doing how are you doing nick like how really are you doing I go, you know actually glad you asked fucking shitty you know what thank i'm glad you most days you go, no, I'm great. Because you already go, now. it's that it's that thing we all do. Yeah, in passing, you, know, you don't actually yeah, go into it. Yeah, but when somebody actually says, no, really, how are you? Like, seriously, you know? And all of a sudden you go, oh, shit. You, you feel that, and it's a good feeling. Well, you take that same feeling when you sit down to meeting to get a job or something else, and you put yourself in their position. And then the other question is, you ask yourself, why would why would I want to hire me? Like, why really would I? Why the hell would I want me? Like, for real. Okay, hold on. Let's think about that for a second. Ego aside. What benefit could I really help them? Like, why would I, how can I keep this job? And why would I sustain this job? Then you start thinking differently. So therefore, that's how you share that information with those people on the benefits. And most of the time, 85% of the time, you'll get the job, you know? And if you're bullshitting, it'll it'll show and you'll be out of the job in two weeks, you know? But, but if you can go there true to form and you talk to that person on the other side and share the benefits of why they should use you and how you can help them make their company, their life, whatever that job position is better. It shows that you care. You're thinking about them and your team player. And and that's why. And all of a sudden they go, holy smokes, this person unbelievable. Because everybody mostly comes in with, I did this, I did that, I, I, You're like, okay, well, they're good. I guess I guess we can hire them. They, they did a lot of stuff. Great. You know, I give them the job of Jamba Juice. They've, they've, they've been smoothies before. Great. And that's what they do. And all of a sudden when somebody starts talking about the benefits of the company, they go, you know what? Let's have them make smoothies for a month. I think they might be a manager. I think they'd be better as a manager. You know, I think they'd be, I don't think they're making smoothies for much longer than two weeks. I, they're going to be, but let's put them in the thing. 
And all of a sudden, you know, now they're a manager. And then all of a sudden, if they're really good, they're going to be, you know, could be a vice president of the whole company. You know, because that's the mentality that I think you should go in with, you know. Well, you almost need to frame it in that way because that's what the company wants. Is they want right. somebody that's going to benefit the company. And if you go in there just saying, oh, this is what I can do. This is me. This is mm-hmm. where I'm at. This is what I need. Yeah. Why? They have the run of the litter. Why are they going to exactly. pick you that's if right. you're just so self-focused? Exactly. And the thing is, you probably do have the qualifications. You probably have the accolades and the resume. That, well, they can see that. You gave them the resume. So they can see that. But it's all in the way you present it. You know what I mean? It's all in the way you present your skills to them so you don't come off condescending, you know what I mean, and cocky and narcissistic. You're shifting the focus that much. Yeah, and it's just, you're sharing the same information, but you're doing it in a way that you're caring about them and their company and and that you really want a job and that you're not that all about you. You're about a team player, and that's why you want the job. Well, that's one of the things from an outside perspective, at least, that you hear a lot about in show business is there's a lot of me mentality where it's it's almost a superficial kind of field where everyone's just focused on trying to try to get a leg up or do what they mm-hmm. can to move where they want to go. Yes. And everybody's just kind of a stepping stone in that direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in, in, and I think in this world, too, it, I think... It's almost the world now, yeah. It's it not is. even just show business, it's no, just it's the, the world. world. And also the narcissism of it all, you know what I mean? Um, which goes back to the internet and all, all this stuff, you know what I mean? Um, and seeing ourselves. And, and we're all worried about what the next person's doing. And and, and yeah, I'm even, you know, one to succumb to that. To, you all know, see different people online who I you know, equal to me on in the business. And I start, well, how do they get that? What are they doing? Whereas I would never really know anything about that unless I saw it in a newspaper article, you know, or in a magazine, which I get once in the blue moon newspapers. I get all the time because I still like reading a real newspaper like that. But um, so when all you, you start comparing yourself to them. But if you just didn't even know they were doing that stuff, right? Because they're doing, they're doing them. They have doors open and close all the time. Some doors are bigger than others. And that's okay. They should. That's That's life. And you're going to have doors open for you that are bigger than people think and go, wow, how the hell did he get that? He shouldn't have gotten that. That's okay because that's what we get. But when you start comparing yourself to other people and you start seeing what they're doing, it throws you because you're like, well, they don't deserve that. And all of a sudden it negatively impacts you. And then all of a sudden it might even make you depressed or put you down going, well, I'm, just, I'm never going to get there. But if you stopped and didn't see all that stuff, right, that somebody else or your competition is doing, and then you just were focused on yourself and looked at all your accomplishments, you go, holy shit, I never thought I'd be at this point in my life doing this and enjoying it. Like, because you're only going to judge yourself from where you were to nothing to really something. But now you're judging yourself on this person's life, but you don't even know their story on how they got to be the host of Deal or No Deal or to be the host of whatever the hell it is. But that's okay. They're allowed that because you might get that break sometime later in your life or you've already gotten a break because where you are there's some other buddy looking at you going man i want to be you like that's unbelievable how you get there but i find with this world that we're in we can pick up our phone and just check in on everybody and even the people we're checking in are could be faking how great they're doing which happens, happens all, all the time 80 percent of the time that's 90 percent of instagram exactly which is useless to begin with so so if you stop that and pretended you didn't have any of this which is kind of hard now because we all live on this and look at yourself in the mirror and worry about you. You got to look at yourself in the mirror and go, you know what? God damn it. I've done pretty goddamn good. I'm doing great. I'm actually doing really good. Yeah, there's always going to be somebody with a bigger job, more money, bigger dick, bigger boobs, 
bigger ass, tighter pussy. I mean, whatever it is, there's always going to be somebody with somebody. Always. It doesn't matter. And there's always somebody going to be working for that, that you are below. I don't give a shit who it is. It could be from um, Jeff Bezos to, to Bill Gates to Donald Trump, some of the richest people in the world. But they're still working for somebody. They are. Like, when there's... They're richer than most of us. You know what I mean? Whether you love them or hate them. So there's always, or Martha Stewart, you know what I mean? Or Oprah. I mean, the list goes on, and women and men. But but even if they were to stop 20 years ago in their career, they would have been, they would have made it. If you were to stop now, you would have made it. You know what I mean? Like, so so you got to really forget a lot of that. It's not easy at all, because I succumb to it as well. You know what I mean? So I'm a bit competitive in my business, and that's why it's okay to be competitive. It's healthy to be wanting more. And, you know, somebody's got to lose the race. There's only one winner. So go back to the Olympics and try to win next time. That's okay being second and third because that may make you first next year. But getting second and third is better than 10th and 12th. But then 10th and 12th is amazing because they got to the Olympics. And it, Yeah, at least you got in. I can't even get race. to the goddamn – I can't even buy a ticket to see the Olympics, let alone run in the damn thing. So that's where it works. So so sometimes you've got to stop doing that and looking at it. And it's really hard. But I know some friends will just delete their account sometimes because they realize they got in that point where I go, I can't. And then you got to sit back and – have a glass of wine or smoke a joint or if you don't do any of that stuff, eat a bowl of cereal and have a glass of water, whatever the hell it is. But then you sit down and really be proud of yourself, you know, whether it be your single mom or single dad and you're trying to raise two kids and you're, and you're a singer or you an accountant or a doctor and you can't get there yet. Yeah, but you're, you're raising two kids. That's a merit. That's a goddamn miracle. That's amazing. Don't. Yeah. Okay. You want to maybe be a doctor and you're trying to raise two kids and go to school. Well, you will, but You'll do it maybe five years and you want to more. That's okay. But you're still doing all this. This is amazing. You know what I mean? I don't have kids yet. I'm, you know, we're trying to have kids now. But I don't know how I would have done all this if I had two kids. But somebody who raises two kids, I go, that's unbelievable. How do you do that? That's a lot of work. And some people are going, how the hell do you make magic a career? You can pay a mortgage by it? So everyone's got their own thing, you know. So so I think the, the internet's an amazing thing for learning and other things. It's also, it's an evil thing as well because it it puts people in a position to make them feel that they're not that successful because they're comparing to somebody that is maybe in their mind so much more successful, but they've also had different opportunities in different situations in their life that you would have never had because you're not them and you're not living in England or India or Croatia or Japan or China or you're living, you know, where the heck people are living, you know what I mean? Um, it's all situational, you know what I mean? So you can't, you have no control over that, you know what I mean? So. And it's all in your face. I mean, you're not just seeing oh, no, yeah. the neighbor who might, yeah. finally have that new edition. You're saying, exactly. fuck, I can't, I can't afford that right That's now. Right. You're not trying to keep up with the Joneses. You're trying to keep up with everybody and their grandma. That's right. Yeah, I mean, the they, bar is so much higher now. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and you see somebody with a Ferrari in the front. They're, they're yeah, they've got whatever. their yacht. They're exactly, flying on their yeah. helicopter. But, but people don't realize in this day and age, you can put five bucks down for a car, and as long as you can make the $2,000 a month payment, you can drive a Rolls Royce. You can drive a Ferrari. You know what I mean? Nowadays, that's no one wants you to own anything because if you own something, you stop paying and you don't own any debt on it. And no one ever makes money. The minute you buy something and pay it off, no one makes money. You're the, you're the only one that makes money. And in this world, nobody ever wants you to pay off anything because everyone else is making money off your payments. You know, it's, to me, it's, you know, and I understand how all that works. So, you know, we own property and stuff like that. And so that's the thing. And yeah, it used to be neighbors. Neighbor gets a new car. Oh my God, they got a new minivan or a new Mercedes. Well, shit, we got. We're yeah, going to step it up. Yeah, but I'm thinking, but you're still living in the same neighbor, neighborhood. That's amazing. You guys have homes together. Who cares what kind of car they drive? It's four wheels. They can't go any faster than the speed limit. Doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. You know, it's like these women, their coach purses and, and Louis Vuittons and all this other stuff. And I'm like, it's a goddamn bag to hold your lipstick, your tampons, and your chewing gum and your keys. It's a bag. Like, it's a goddamn bag. A $3,000 bag 
They carry your tampons in and your car keys. Really? When you can go down and buy another bag for 20 bucks, it looks just as nice. And you got a label on it just bragging that you paid more than anyone else for it because you want to look better than everyone else be, and look more successful and that you have more money than anyone else. The most, the, success, the most successful people I've met ever in my life, when they go to a meeting, they'll wear a tank top, a T-shirt, some shorts, flip-flops. You'd never know they had a dollar to their name. The people that are really rich, the ones that, and when I, when I mean really rich, it's money that I don't think you and I'll ever see, and I'm not being negative. I'm just like, it's pretty unbelievable. And they'd walk in this room, and you'd think he's probably valeting cars or she's valeting cars down in the local bar or something like that. You'd never know because they don't need to prove anything. They're not trying because when you have that much money, you don't need to prove anything. There's nothing to, you don't need to, that's the last thing you want to do is brag that you have money because you have a lot of it. And the people who usually don't have a lot of money are the ones bragging that they look like they have a lot of money. In and my wearing opinion, it and buying exactly, all the stuff. In my opinion, like when you look at normal people hanging out, yeah, a watch might be a tell or a couple other things, you know what I mean? Um, because people like the odd jewelry type thing. But if you look at people that are really, really rich that aren't, I'm not talking about people on TV because we know Oprah has money and Martha Stewart and all that and Ellen. But people that you wouldn't know who own brick companies and nuts and bolt factories, you'd never even, you know, they're not famous for that. Um, they're famous in their own industry. But if you were to sit at a table, you'd never know because that's not their game. And when you have that much money, you don't need to tell people you have that much money. It doesn't benefit you at all. So, so that's one thing I've learned in my life as well a lot of times. You know, so that's, you know, it's just an interesting, I, I love that. And, but if he wants to brag about that, go for it. It's just free country. Shit, wear all labels you want and have 20 necklaces around your neck with diamonds. Nothing's wrong with that either. You know what I mean? If it makes you happy, doesn't matter what I think. Doesn't matter what anybody thinks. You know, the key is to waking up and being happy and proud of yourself. You know, and if you want to look like a stripper, be a stripper and be a proud one. You know, you want to be somebody who's super rich and look poor, great. If you just want to be normal and look just normal and not be that eccentric like me that looks ridiculous when I walk on stage, awesome you know so yeah that's my two cents did you go a little crazy at all when you first started making money or did you maintain that kind of sanity of you I know i want to i want to be in this for the long run i'm going to save my cash i think i maintained it. it yeah you know if you you know if you ever come over to my house i have a few i love old cars and i have a few of them but i um my it's, it's always say it's my first vehicle it's actually my second vehicle but i have a 1991 nissan hard body pickup truck and it was one of my first cars my second car i got when i was 18 um, and I used to do it for my magic shows. I had a truck so I could put all my equipment in the back and do my kids' birthday parties and all my shows. And it's still in my driveway today. And I still drive it. And I put more money into that to keep it original. Um, and what I mean by more money, it's a Nissan pickup truck. So it's not, you know, it's not a Rolls Royce. So to update, it doesn't cost that much. But all, my point is it, it probably runs the best of all my vehicles. Um, and I keep it. People always ask me, I can't believe you still have that thing from high school. Like, you, that's your truck. I said, I said, yeah. I said, if that truck could talk. I said, that's my diary. Some people keep a diary in a journal. I said, that's my journal. From the day I started in this business, pretty much. I mean, I started when I was seven, but, you know, when I really started working, I said, there's a reason most of the times I'll drive that car. There's a reason it's in my driveway. There's a reason it's one of my favorite cars because it's lived my life. I'm no different than that vehicle now as I was when I was 18 driving it. It doesn't matter how much money I have or whatever because I still got to get the same place as everyone else. I that car still goes as fast as everyone else's car legally on the road. You know, no one knows whether I'm rich or poor in it. No one who doesn't know who I am doesn't know who I am. It's okay. It's not important. I'm not trying to show off for anybody. You know, yeah, I got a couple of classic cars in my garage when I pull out and I want to show off and, you know, be Murray, the magician and look all fancy and snazzy and all that bullshit. I can be that person. But I also love old cars, you know, um, and they're all paid off. And I own them, you know what I mean? And the red truck sits there because it brings me back to who I really was. And I am still to this day. 
you know, and I think it's really important to have those little things in your life. When you do have that success, you kind of go back to if you want to stay grounded a lot because you could lose it all and go back to exactly where you were. And the thing is, I've always taken where I was with me. So if I fall back to where I was, I've always been there. I never left. So it's pretty hard to fall back when you haven't left that position, you know. Well, pretty hard to fall back when you stay grounded in that way. Yeah. I, I mean, you so. hear a lot about people who get famous and then they just go oh, off the walls and then it all famous. falls out from under them and they're they're just lost. Oh, my God. So many times. Look at Bam Margarita right now. You know, Bam's all over the place and he had tons of success and money and everything. You know, the world by the tail. You know, he's one of the biggest reality stars in the world, you know, with jackass and all those things, you know, and, and now he's, you know, he's got a kid and everything. I'm like, you're a dad now. Be cool. You have fame. You can make money. You write a book and go to keynote speaking for 10 grand a pop. What are you going to do? But you, you're famous enough. You can figure out a way to pivot that fame, you know, and look at him. He's looking like a root idiot, you know, and unfortunately he's got a lot of other issues, addictions and stuff, which that can be a real bitch, you know, that, that you need help with, you know what I mean? Because no one's perfect, you know, but he's really got to get a grip on that stuff, you know? So you see a lot of people like that, you know, and I think it's important to know where you where you come from. I think people I look up to, like even Dolly Parton, even though she has more money than God, I think she really is pretty true to her roots. She's always been good to people, always nice. One of my buddies manages her um, along with her main manager, and, and, you know, I've never met her yet, but they're all like, yeah, she's just she's the same person she was when she was in that cabin with a hundred kids and her mom and dad and and openly you know, talks about it and yeah. doesn't shy away from it and says yeah this is this is still who i am exactly like, this is me yeah and she's overdone and everything she loves it makes jokes about it and i love that i think it's the greatest thing ever you know and and i think when she talks to you she really talks to you she looks at you listens to you and she doesn't think she's better than you she's just doing what she does and she loves it and people love it and that's her gift you know so the talking to you thing you touched on it when we were going back on the you know how was your day mm. i think that just in and of itself, just somebody being nice almost feels like it can be a rarity nowadays. Yes. It's like the actual human to human connection of, mm-hmm. hey, let's just talk. Yep. Like, how are you? It doesn't have to be deep. It doesn't have to be life changing, but let's just have a real conversation. Yes. Connect yeah. with each other for yeah. five seconds. And Put your phone it. down and mean yeah. it. Mean it. Yeah. I always tell people when they walk on stage, young acts or even acts trying to get into the business, I go, when you walk on stage, Look at somebody in the audience. I know it sounds weird as hard because they're looking at you and it's easier to just look in the back of the room because I understand that. I used to do that. But if you can connect with one or two people in the front row, that connects everybody. Because even though I'm looking at this person, I'm looking at you, um, everyone else feels like I really am looking at you. I'm not looking at the clock or looking at the picture. I'm looking over there. You know, I'm really looking at you. And that really makes a big difference. <clears throat> and it makes it genuine. And it makes it you're looking and you're taking it in, what they look like. Do they have a beard? Are they... Long hair, short hair, who they are. And it's that second, and they go, wow, they really, and it goes a long way. It really goes a long way. And even if you're not that person, figure out how to be that person. So when you ask how somebody's doing, don't throw it away. You know, how you doing, man? You got really good. You look great. And, and anytime I meet people after meet and greets, especially kids for sure, because I know kids are always wearing glasses. They don't want to wear glasses or maybe clothes the, kid, the parents put them in, like little boys with suits on. You know, maybe the parents, I'll wear a suit and tie. And certain things that I knew kids probably don't want to be in. I will make sure when they come, and I'm not I'm not lying, I'm being genuine, but if a girl comes over and she's wearing sparkly shoes, I go, oh my God, those shoes are amazing. My wife would love those shoes. Or if they got glasses on, I go, oh my God, you got the same glasses as me. I say, you look so cool. Because it's an acceptance. And I mean that. I noticed something on them, and I said it, and I, I made them special for a second. And and I, I've had this happen to me, so I know that. And I've had it happen to me from really famous people, and, and even not famous people, but when it's a famous person, you go, holy crap, they meet everybody, and they, they notice that on me. 
that's a that's a and you take it with you forever because in your head you go oh my god they meet like a hundred people an hour they notice that in me and you'll never forget that you know what I mean because you realize they're not just the neighbor which the neighbor sees you every day or your sister brother mom dad whatever you know that goes a long way so those little nuggets I've gotten out of my life that made me feel good I try to really remember and I I'll use I'll steal it that idea. And I'll go, let's train myself to say this and learn this. Cause that's, that was a winner that really made me feel great. So I'm sure it'll make other people feel great. So if I see a little boy come over with a suit on, I go, my God, I love that tie on you. I said, I'm sure it's really tight, but you look great. I said, not many people dress up like you look like a little adult. You look great. You're going to do great. You know, and like, oh my God, okay. Maybe, Start dad, feeling maybe, dad, about maybe dad was right. Maybe yeah. I should wear the suit. You get a compliment. You know what I mean? Whereas maybe the kids might make fun of him. Oh, you got to wear a tie. You look like an old man. Cause kids are, kids are mean. But when an adult, somebody says, or they see my show and they you know, look up to you, and you say, that suit looks amazing. Like, you look, I wish I had that suit and that size. You know, I wish I had the size and the suit and that color. And all of a sudden, they may laugh or say nothing, but that, a lot of times, I'll meet people 10 years later and go, I remember that I had this joke about me wearing glasses, and you said they look great on me. Ever since then, I never worried about wearing glasses again. I'm like, oh, because I'll just say, you know, because I meet so many people. You say things, you know, I want to be nice, but you don't know if it really affects them. Sometimes it goes over their head. And then sometimes it really means something. So so it's important, you know. And when you look at somebody, you mean it, you know, and, and talk to them. Don't talk past them, you know. And 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 like you mentioned, the word nice. And I mean, my wife talk about this all the time. It's so easy to be amazing. It is easy to be amazing. And it's easy to be really shitty. It's easy to be angry, shitty, asshole. And it's easy to be amazing. Because you can turn it on and just, but it's the hardest thing to be nice consistently. That's the hardest thing I think for humans to be is nice. Switzerland, be neutral, just be nice. It's easy to be amazing. Go, oh my God, you're fucking amazing. And, and, or really shit, I can't believe this. But to be nice, and even when somebody's going off the rails and they're losing it and you go, hey, it's okay. Relax, I, I'm with you. Totally get you. I know you're pissed off. Just hang tight, just take a walk. Just take a, I'm right here, I'm not going anywhere. Take a walk, have a glass of wine, come on back and I'm here, it's not gonna. Versus you going up that high and going, you know, and now both people are yelling. If one was just nice, well, somebody's got to, somebody's got to either go up or go down. Well, if you can just stay nice, nice is a lot nicer than being, and you can only be that excited for so long. People will come back to nice for a second. And nice, if you can stay nice, boy, you can get a lot further. You know what I mean? And so I always tell people, nice is the hardest thing for people to do. Because nice sounds boring, but nice is, nice is achievable. You can, have, you can have an argument being nice. You can understand your spouse being nice. You can understand your best friend, your brother, your mother, your neighbor, if you're nice. You know, if somebody goes, you know, that tree overgrown our hedge, I really wish you would cut that. I'm like, totally with you. I said, I know it's my tree. It's in your yard. Do me a favor. You're welcome to do whatever you want with it. I said, I totally, I get it. You hate the leaves in your yard. I am with you. I got the leaves in my yard. I said, get your guy and just cut it flat to the fence. Don't worry about it. I mean, will you help me pay for it? No, I don't feel like I have to pay for it. I said, I'm sorry. I said, it's the trees in your yard. It's my tree. I know that, but it's in your yard. But when you get the rest of your place, it's kind of flat. Out the I don't care. Go for it. It's, it's fine. To I totally get you. I'm not going to argue with you on that. It, you're right. It's a pain in the ass. I got it in my yard. Instead of going, look, don't be an asshole. Cut it yourself, fucker. And <laughs> well, here we go. Now you lost a neighbor. And that's so easy to do. And that's what we do. We do that all the time. So if you just go, totally get it. You are 100% right. And then, of course, when it gets to you, well, we're going to help you have half paid or something like that. And then, no, or maybe you want to help. Sure, I'll fill the money. Great. But if you don't want to, that's fine as well. But it's also a nice way of doing that. Going, look, I, I totally want, I know you want to pay me for it. Uh, you want me to help you pay for it. But look, I, I don't feel like it's, it's not in my yard. But whatever you want trimming your yard, go for it. And that, my tree is in your yard. So cut it off. Go for it. I don't care. 
you know, just leave leave it fence lines. I want the tree in my yard, you know, but I totally get you. And that's that's all of a sudden you go, wow, okay. I, okay, I kind of wish you'd help pay me, but he was, he was a nice guy about it. And that's, that's all you got to do, you know. Well, it's amazing, like you said, how far that goes. Just putting in the bare minimum effort to just be nice. Mm-hmm. The doors that it opens, the relationships that it opens, mm-hmm. the day that it can give to you and other people. I yeah. mean, it is... It's a monumental shift, and yet it seems so small. Yes. If you just take five seconds to be nice mm-hmm. in any interaction that you go through. Totally. It makes yeah. a world of difference. Totally. Even if the waitress or a waiter gives you something wrong at the table, I see it all the time. No banners or nothing from people. I mean, this waiter, waitress or waiter has 20 tables or whatever, 10. They bring the wrong meal, and or they forgot to bring you the salt twice or something. And go, and just go, hey, sorry to bother you again. I know you're busy, and you're 100 tables. I, can I get that salt? Oh, God, yeah, that's right. Versus going, um, I asked for salt like 10 minutes ago. Yeah, you did. You, you really did. And you're probably pissed off. But this person has a lot of other things doing. They should have got it. That's fine. Okay, well, tip them a little less then. But it doesn't mean you have to be an asshole. Just go, hey, sorry to bother you. I know you're going to hate me with that salt thing. Oh, my God, that's right. Versus if you're an asshole, all of a sudden they go back and they go, holy shit. That, and then now it's just the whole thing. Yeah, then they start spending well, exactly, food. Exactly, or whatever, yeah. So, but you just remember that because I always try. The best thing I always do in a situation is I always, and I know people say it, but they don't do it. I always try to put myself in their shoes. You know, how, how would I want this person to react? You know, even if I got to tell somebody negatively, because we're all in that position. We go, oh my God, I can't believe I got to tell them this. And then I, and, but most people are thinking from their, they're thinking from their end, going, I can't believe I got to say this to them. They're not thinking how they're going to react or if they were in that position. But if you were just to think for two seconds going, if this, if I was telling myself this and I didn't see it coming, how the hell would I want to receive that? You know what I mean? And all of a sudden, if you think that way, you'll change the way you share that information with the person, I think. You know, and you'll tweak it or at least make it a lot more, hopefully, less hostile or more understanding because now you're thinking, oh, my God, if you were just, how the hell would I ever say, I wouldn't, I don't think I'd receive that very well. Well, what's the best or the worst way to receive that information? And you'll probably tone down what you're going to do. Yeah, screaming at each other is probably not the yeah, ideal scenario exactly. that we want to go in. Whatever, yeah. Yeah. Unless they're really overdone or they're just too much. You go, look, stop, quit the bullshit, stop being an asshole, stop, 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 stop. Look, what do you want? What's the deal? Just don't be an asshole. Just be cool. I'm not being. You call me an asshole. I said, I'm not calling you an asshole. You're being an asshole. You're I acting said, like one. Yeah, because you just won't shut the fuck up. You know what I mean? Or you know whatever. So because you won't. Okay. And then if they keep going, okay, talk, talk all you want. I said I'm not going to argue with you. I said when you're done talking, I'm I'm here, but I'm not going to. Okay, then fine. What? And they go, okay, look. And then you can explain yourself. You know, but it's, it's I know it's not easy. You know, I'm not. You know, I'm far from perfect. You know. But I've had been in those positions where I go, well, it didn't work out well. I should have done that. That's probably. And I have a, you know, once or twice a year, I will lose it. I mean, I will lose it, you know, like all of us do, which is rare for me. But that's usually because some of these four or five times have just have not got the picture. And I go, you know what? God damn it. You know, and then, yeah, some people, you do have to. But in most cases, at least I've seen in my, my situations with other people, I go, man, they would have just bit their tongue for one more second. Because once you say it, it's out. You can never take it back. That's one thing me and my wife always talk about. I go, look, you can hate me. There's going to be days you're going to kill me and hate me and call me every name out of the sun. Go for it. Just remember, though, and I learned this from my parents, and this is how I try to treat our relationship. Once you say it, I'll forgive you. You're my wife. You know what I mean? But the minute you say it, I will never forget what you tell me. I'll never forget what you say because I'm not going to forget it. I can forgive and forget. That's bullshit. I'm not going to forget it. I remember everything. I'm just not going to forget it. I'll remember. Will I hold against you? Probably not, but I'm not going to forget it. So I'll, you can say sorry all you want, you know what I mean? But you still said it. So I'm not going to forget that. You know what I mean? So it's like 
you crashed my car. You fixed it, but I'm not going to forget you crashed my car two years ago. You crashed my fucking car. It cost me five grand. I'm not going to forget it. Sorry. So, so, and you know, so that's why I always say, you know, when you're really angry, take a walk. Or when you're really angry, before you want to call that person a name, once it comes out and you call them that name, that's it. It'll, they'll never forget it. So just hold back and go, man, you're really, you're killing me right now. I swear to God, you just got to, you know, give me a second, but you just, I don't know what the deal is, but you just, I can't even right now, got to either go for a walk or yell at me if you want, but just, and then, because in your head, you're going, man, I really want to say 10 words that are just hurt her or hurt him or whatever. Just dig that knife. Yeah, and we all do it, you know, and it's not worth it. It's just not worth it because people don't forget. If they say they forget, they're lying, you know, and that's my opinion, but I don't think they forget unless they have dementia and they're 95, you know. Uh, or Alzheimer's. So, so you remember what you say, you know what I mean? If you do want to hurt something, great, but you've hurt them for life because they, they will bring that shit up for years. Well, and that's one of the crazy things about the world that we live in is people just throw around words today that like they have no weight. Like it's just yeah. this that's right. a character on a screen exactly. and it's just, you can throw it away and then you move on and that's right. And it eats away at that person that you just cussed out and then yeah. they come back at you and it just, it devolves. Yeah. I mean, we just throw around words like, yeah. It, it's nothing. Yeah. You just throw it out there. Oh, it's already gone. I forgot what I said. I've moved yeah. forward. Yeah. I always tell people it's, uh, it's an interesting topic too. So we don't have much more time, I know, but I know when you say you're dating somebody or whatever and and say your girlfriend or whatever, and they go to Cabo. Your gr- girlfriends go to Cabo. You're at home and five of them go to Cabo and they have a great time. And they one of them, your girlfriend meets a guy, bangs him that night, right? Has sex, right? On the beach. And they come back. They have an option to either tell you that it happened or they don't. Right, that's the two options. Now, do they tell you or do they not? If she never told you, right, you got married, have four kids, and you died at 90, and she never told you that happened that one 30-second minute of her life, in her life, on the beach with the girls, right, she never told you, would it change your life? She never told you if you never knew, and she took it to the grave. Or would it change your life if she did come back and tell you? Probably would change your life if she told you. If she didn't tell you, you would never know. But the, but the problem is most people do is, and I'm not saying to be dishonest at all. Everyone should be truthful and honest. But when you do something on your own, take responsibility. So what I mean by that is if you shoplift and you got away with it and you know if you tell me you stole this, it's going to really affect me. And it happened once and never going to happen again. But, but you stole it. And you know it's going to really affect me. Like maybe I'm super against that or I'm really religious or whatever it might be. You know it's really going to, it's going to be something that will never go away in a relationship. It's going to be brought up every year, every time we fight. You just do it, whatever you did. Need the money for something or you stole it, didn't get caught. Lucky day for you, take it to the grave. But that person's not responsible for that negativity, that guilt. But that's, that's okay. It's you, the one that did it. It's your guilt. Take it with you. That's your problem, not my goddamn problem. Same thing, say girlfriend goes away on a vacation, sleeps with a guy on the beach for 30 seconds, is a fling with the other guy's name. Didn't catch anything, no love affair, nothing. It was just whatever. And she'd already been with a bunch of guys before she met you anyway, so it's not like she lost her virginity. This is just, I'm just throwing devil's advocate thing right now. She comes back home, she never tells you. And you live a happy life. Didn't catch anything, didn't get pregnant. It happened, it's out of her system. She feels guilty for the rest of her life. But it was her mistake, her problem. But she owned up to it and she took it to the grave. So you were never affected by it. And you had the greatest life in the world because she sorted out in her world and that's it. The minute she tells you now, nothing's wrong with that. But as soon as she, somebody tells you something, a lot of people go, I'm being honest, I'm truthful. 
that guilt is instantly off them onto you for the next 35 years for a 30 second flick that shouldn't have to begin with, but it did. And now this person feels great because like I'm being truthful. I see I fucked up. I'm so sorry. Never happened again. Shouldn't, why'd you do it? I just did it. Sorry, drunk. Just it, a couple of other girls hooked up with some other guys. It was just, a, I know, a big mistake. I love you to death. You'll never, never not forget that in your life, right? But it had nothing to do with you. It was just, didn't do it because you did not love you. Didn't do it because you not have sex. It was just a thing that happened. It could be the same with a guy. I'm just doing the scenario because you and I, there's no girls here. You and I are guys to guy talking. So, but most people do those because they feel so guilty. They go, I got to tell the person because I got to be honest with them. Well, sometimes being that honest with somebody ruins that person's life and that relationship forever. When that person who did it, it's their whole world. That's their own problem and their own fault. And they fucked up really badly. And now instantly they go, here's my guilt. You could have it for the next 40 years because I might do it again now. Because you're going to think that. Every time they go on a vacation with the girls again, it's going it to happen again. But if she never told you it happened once, took it to the grave, you'd never think that. It'd never be a problem. But that person can't always handle the guilt and the untrust that they screwed up on, right? So now, therefore, they share it with the person they love because they think it's going to be the best thing for their relationship to do this. When there was their fuck up, that shouldn't even happen to begin with. And now what happens is the worst thing because now every argument that comes back up, you can't get rid of it. But if she would have kept it to herself for life, that's her own little problem. It's her own little secret. No one needs to know. No one affect, didn't affect anything. No diseases, no pregnancy, no nothing. Doesn't even guys. No, it's not an affair. They're not cheating. It's not, they're just not going to leave you for them. Well, that's her own problem. And now you're, now you have this great life, but it's amazing that certain people make actions and their actions have consequences that they don't need to bring onto other people. And I'm not just saying infidelity or sex. I'm saying stealing something or whatever other things might be. And they give it to somebody else going, and they use the excuse of, I'm being honest. I'm so sorry, but I'm being honest. Like, well, if you're being honest, you shouldn't have fucking done in the first place. So you should take that to your grave and not even tell me. You deal with the guilt. I don't want the guilt because by telling me is not really going to help the situation because no matter what happens, I'm going to be thinking that every time you go on a vacation without me, it's going to happen again because you cannot not stop thinking about that. You know what I mean? So it's interesting how people's actions from being nice to being angry to, like I said, the hardest thing to being is being nice. A lot of people, I think, don't take, don't take responsibility for their actions. Meanwhile, they get angry, they get shitty, trying to be nice, doing things they shouldn't be doing. But if people took more, I think more responsibility for their actions and dealt with them themselves versus going, no, no, now you can deal with it because I'm being honest. That's the, that's the right thing to do. That's what Dr. Phil says. And they Let's get to just it. clap their hands. Because I'm like, yeah, now, now they yeah. can go, who? I took it off me because, okay, I did it. Yeah, now oh, you deal with it. Now you deal because now, now she doesn't have to, you know, because it happened, it was wrong. But now by taking off their guilt's done because they're like, oh, I'm not being, untrust I'm not being tr untrustworthy anymore. I'm like, well, not, that's too You're late. You already broke it. Too late. Too late for that. So now you just, you just took this tsunami and just pushed it right into my village and I'll never have that village the same again. We can rebuild it, but it's just not the same village we had to begin with. You know, now, this goes for anybody. And I'm not saying that's the way you should do things. Uh, but, but I'm also saying whatever you do in life, there's certain things, take goddamn responsibility. Like if you trip on a curb, right? I'm going to sue the goddamn city. I, there's a manhole cover, it's two inches up. That's got to be. I'm like, yeah, but you've walked on the manhole cover for two years now living in the neighborhood. You never tripped. So now because you broke your leg for six months, or not six months, six weeks or whatever, now you're going to say, no, you just didn't lift your goddamn foot. Get it fixed. Use your medical. Go on. Why would you sue the city? It's going to take you five years of bullshit, all the drama, 
Take responsibility for your action and get on with it. Just get on with living. Six weeks, it's back to normal. Don't trip on the thing again. That's it. But everyone always wants to go, no, I want to pass. You know, so I, it's just a random topic conversation, but I find it interesting that a lot of people just won't take actions or responsibility for their own actions and take it to the grave or take it, take it into their own world to figure out versus on pushing on to somebody else going, I'm doing the honest thing. I'm doing this. I'm doing the right thing. You deal with it now. You know what I mean? Or whatever the case. I find it interesting. I don't know if it's wrong or right. I know a lot of people, most people probably argue going, well, it's not right. I'm like, it's not, well, it wasn't right to begin with. The first beginning start wasn't right. But when it's happened already, what do you do at this point now? You know what I mean? So it's like my kid, if he cheats on a test and pass, it doesn't get caught. I don't want to know about it. I'm your parent. I'm going to give you shit. I'm going to give you shit. That's my job. If I heard you cheat on a test, I'm not going to condone that. I'm not going to say it's the right thing to do. I can't. I cannot. That's just not the right way to do things. But if you cheat on a test and don't tell me, I'm okay with that. Now, if you tell me when I'm 50 and you're 30, I can go, oh, okay, that's funny. Now you got away with it. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's 30 years. I can deal with it. But if you're still 12 and I'm, you know, whatever age I am and you cheat on a test, we're going to correct that real quickly because, first of all, you're going to get busted one day and you're not going to learn properly a lot of things. But if you got away with it and it's not a consistent thing, I don't really need to know that. You can let me know when I'm a lot, lot older and nothing matters. You know what I mean? So those are, it's just interesting how, you know, there's certain things that I think it's people, people taking responsibility for their own actions and then how they deal with it. And they sometimes feel like, well, if I just pass it off onto them, yeah, you do feel guilt-free now. But now they're stuck with all this hurt and all this pain that they're, they shouldn't even ever be subjective to because it wasn't their fault of any of this, you know? So I find that, you know human because we're talking about humans and the way they react to certain things and like i said it started from being like i said being be amazing or you can be shitty hardest thing to be is being nice i think the hardest thing also for people is for taking responsibility for their actions a lot well it's funny you bring that up i actually was listening to a podcast from the lex friedman podcast a couple days ago and they were talking about just that in reference to infidelity and i believe it was a female psychologist on and her interpretation was if you if you cheat and you tell your spouse yeah, you're trying to just absolve yourself of the guilt, but all you are doing is just passing it off onto your partner and you're getting this clean conscience. You get to feel better and now you've just completely right. shit all, all over yes. their world. With you've somebody just, that hasn't deserved it. Yeah, yeah. did nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. You you fucked up and now you are just passing it, directly yes. pass yourself to them. Yeah. But you, you would think in that situation, everyone would say, well, I want to know. I want yes. you to tell me, even though it might fuck up everything we have, our whole relationship, yeah. it might ruin my life. Yeah. It might, yeah. you know, subsequently sabotage all of my relationships after this. I want to know. Yeah. Even though it would do all of that. That's right. Yeah. Because there's certain things we live by or we think we should do. You know, always be honest. Always be truthful. Don't steal. Don't lie. Yeah, of course. Those are all great things. I'm not against any of that stuff. And I'm just putting this out there on the table. And But, but it's interesting how... A lot of humans and people just don't want to take responsibility for their actions. And I go, take responsibility. If you're guilty for something, take it to the grave. You know, even when you, if you're dating somebody and you're married to somebody, you weren't with them for 10 or 15 or 20 years before you met them. There's a lot of shit in that 20 years. I don't need to know. I don't want to know how many people you fucked or drugs you did or things you should or things you've stolen or whatever you did for things. Yeah, a couple of funny. You could tell me. I'm not that. I'm not a jealous person. I'm not. You know, I love a good story. I'm not that kind of person. You can tell me anything, and I'm just one of those persons. I'll go with it because I believe you know no one's perfect and life happens. You got to live life and enjoy it. But, but I don't need to know everything. Like my wife and I have been married a year and a half now together for six years. Whatever she did between the age of 15 until I met her, you know, in her early 30s, 
We got a few funny stories. I don't need to know everything. It's okay. I don't want to know everything. I hope you had an amazing time. I hope you had certain things, but you don't need to tell me. If it doesn't affect my life now and our life together, there's no need. I don't need to know. By telling me something, if it's going to be funny or a good joke or a laugh or it's a great story, I'm all for it. I love it. But if there's something that is in that 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 um, that might affect our relationship now when I didn't even know you or even if I did know you, is it necessary, you know, as long as you can live your life owning up to what you did? And if you had a good time and it was part of your world that moment, good for you. But if it's going to go into our world and affect it negatively, I'm just not a negative person. I'm always positive. So, you know, because for me, you want to protect your children as well. So same thing, like how many times do we lie to our kids, you know, about certain things? We want to protect their happiness, you know, so because there's there's they don't need to know. At that age, maybe when they're 40 or 50, we can maybe tell them certain things that happened, you know, but so, you know, I think there's certain things, you know, you don't share, share with, you know, certain people if it's going to hinder them and not affect your life from till the time you die. You know what I mean? So, but, but everyone's got their own opinion on stuff like that. But I, but everybody I've seen have done certain things like that. I go, I'm being, the biggest argument is, well, I'm being honest with you. I'm like, yeah, cause you feel great now. Cause they can yell at you, kick you, hate you now, but you're like, Okay, I'm clean slate again. Free bingo. I got a clean slate and a bingo card now. I got a whole new bingo card now. I just, I just, there it is. And like, well, yeah, you feel great. Now this person has got to deal with all this now for how long? Maybe the rest of their lives or until they get amnesia. You know what I mean? Like, like, you know, that's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting topic conversation. I don't have the right answer for that. And I don't have a strong opinion on it. It's just an interesting topic of conversation that I see a lot of people do that. Even my friends go, Okay, well, I did that to you. I'm sorry. I'm like, well, sorry's light. Words are cheap. Talk's cheap. You know what I mean? Actions are, you know. And if you did something wrong, you can't, and you dealt with it on your own, and it didn't affect anything, well, good on you. You're an adult. Good for you. You dealt with it. You didn't fuck up my life and my world and our world. Good for you. Whatever. You know what I mean? But if it, you did something that's going to fuck up our world or something that's much more serious, then we need to have a discussion and, and discuss things like adults, and that's okay. But if there's other things that you've done that, that you're going to mention that's going to, you know, you stole stuff from your parents or you did this or money or bond. Well, that's a problem. You know, that's going to affect me if, you know, you stole from your family the things that they might have needed. That's going to really, that's something that's going to bother me. But if you did, did it and I don't know and everyone else is happy and everything else is kosher, I don't need to know that because if I know that, it's gonna, that's going to piss me off. You know, I think especially if it's a pattern, that's when it becomes a real yeah, problem. Course. Like if this is a pattern, pattern of yeah. ha- of behavior and how yes. we're going to handle things, then okay, well, a hundred percent, and that's that changes cool. things exactly. That's not, yeah, that's not condoned at all. You know, it becomes this type of thing. But if it's ours, we'd say even doing drugs. Maybe somebody does cocaine once, you know, and that person's really against them doing it. You know what I mean? Well, I don't want to know you did it. I don't, you know, if I'm I'm against it completely, and you did it a part of the girls. Um, I don't want to know that if, you know, because a lot of people are super against drugs because they're, they ruin a lot of lives, you know? Well, um, if, if, you know, that guy telling his girlfriend he did a line of coke once in his life because he wanted to be honest with her and she would never have known about it and he had a great time and, you know, don't tell her. Yeah, now it just implodes the relationship. Oh, Christ, because it was you on your own time. You had a good time. You got to try it once or now if you have addiction that's a whole other problem because now you got a problem but if it's that one time well at one time that you had an experience in a little moment with your own little human body trying to figure out life and didn't affect your girlfriend which you knew would affect her then take her to the grave 
because that was your own little world. Because if you bring it over and you know it's going to bother her, because that's why you would tell her, because you think you know it would bother her. So that's why you're trying to be honest with her, because she she knows she's never done drugs and she hates it. Well, but it, but you're still alive. Nothing's wrong with you, and no one would ever know. No, why would you do that? Because you're just gonna now you're gonna throw her off. Because every time you go out now alone, she's gonna think, is he doing that line of coke? And well, if it's not a thing, then why then make it a thing? Take it to the grave, yeah. Why not? Because you're just ruining a great thing. Because that was a you thing. That's something you wanted to try. Didn't want to involve your partner. Because it was something you needed to try in your life for whatever reason. Um, and no one died, and everything's fine. And it was just, thank God. Then, then, but you know, by telling them, it's going to affect them. Well, shit. You've you've got your own answer there. First of all, you shouldn't have done it in the first place if you couldn't handle the guilt of doing it and taking it to the grave. First and foremost, and if you really want to try it because something you had to do in your lifetime, and you knew it would affect your partner that you're never going to leave, then do it in your own time, live through it, and then just that's your own little you know skeleton in the closet. That's fine, didn't affect anybody, right? You know, but the minute you go home and mention that, the way we go, because some people you were to tell that would be, I mean, they might even divorce you. you know what I mean, because some people are that that against it, you know, and and all that stuff. So that's yeah, it's interesting. It's a moral know, conundrum, yeah. yeah. So there you go. I don't know. So I'm not sure how we got in that whole thing, but anyways, yeah. So. It's all part of the beauty of the podcast. Of course. It just takes it, it goes where it goes. Yeah, sure. So, so there you go. Well, there you go. Murray, this was a lot of fun, man. I really appreciate you coming on and talking. Thanks for you. having me on. I hope I didn't talk too much. No, this was great. Nothing, you know, this so. was great. Um, do you want to plug all of your stuff where people can find you? The sure. show tomorrow night, your book. Yep. Yeah, so um, I got my show tomorrow night at uh, Bear River Casino, um, which is one show, 8 o'clock tomorrow night, uh, which um, I'm excited for because I've never played up here, and the people are super sweet there. So it's all ages, so come on down, check us out. 8 o'clock tomorrow night, Bear River Casino here. Um, and then if you're in Vegas, see me at the Tropicana nightly. Uh, you can see me at Luxor in a show called Fantasy. I do a guest spot. It's a topless review show. So if you like something a little more tantalizing, that's the one for you. My comedy special just came out about eight weeks ago on Tubi, the streaming app, T-U-B-I. And then we're filming my second comedy special in August in Las Vegas. I'm currently on CW's Master of Illusion still for my ninth season. Still on Pawn Stars, my 18th season. And, um, and I wrote a kid's book called At Nighttime, We're All the Same Size. You can get it on Amazon. And uh, it's great for kids anywhere from the age of two to like eight. And if they can't read, they got some really cool illustrations in there. And basically it's a metaphor. It's about this kid that hangs out with animals. Each page is a different animal. And it came about because we have rescue animals. My wife and I love rescue animals. And we have three long-haired chihuahuas and a cat. And one of the chihuahuas is very scared of um, of people when you come in the house and uh, for a long time and but she'll want to be involved they're all girl chihuahuas they're all females um her name's bailey but when my wife was starting i started dating she'd come over and watch movies she'd lie on the living room floor on a pillow and watch tv as you do soon she lied on the floor the dog went over there stopped barking and fell asleep on her pillow right beside her head same thing when she hopped in the bed went to bed the dog ran up in the bed fell asleep on the pillow right by her head. So I'd make a joke and go, at nighttime, we're all the same size because the chihuahua could see her eye to eye, didn't realize she was so towering. I thought that's kind of a cute name for a book. So I, I had one page, I needed another 37. So I wrote this book over COVID and basically this kid runs into snakes and bears and giraffes and butterflies. And basically it's a metaphor of not to judge people in the way they look or sound, but to see them eye to eye and you understand them better. So, so there you go. So that's that. And look at my website, murraymagic.com, my YouTube channel, Magic Murray and all that stuff. So well, I'm excited to read the book. Thanks for, yeah, thanks so for that. I saw your special. It was awesome. Oh, I loved thank it. You. Yeah, thanks I thought so it was really awesome. good. So yeah. I can 
vouch for that. I definitely recommend people checking out your show tomorrow night. Yeah, thank you, man. Thanks for hanging out. If you want to see the show too, come on by. We'll yeah, we'll, uh, for you, so. we'll definitely have to do this again if you're ever back in town. Love this to, is man. great. And you're in Vegas, come uh, come hang out and say hi. I'll definitely take you up on that. Right. Thank you, Nick. Thanks, Murray. Thanks, Murray.